Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Was it just us? Was it just us or is there more traffic on the streets this morning than there was, say, yesterday morning? And was there more traffic on the streets yesterday morning than there was, say, on Friday? And if so, why so? Because we're all supposed to be either working from home or loads of us not working at all. Or are people starting to come slowly back to work after people made it possible for them to do it while socially distancing. Is there a thing among some bosses that they will burst their ass to get the, the office suitable for social distancing because they don't trust people to work at home? What is going on? But there's definitely more traffic on the road this morning and yesterday morning than there was on Friday. Has something changed? If something's changed for you, then let us know. 1850-715-996 is the number this morning. As always, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Other people contacting us, contacting us on all platforms and personally about Ryanair and holiday flight refunds. Ryanair are up to their usual tricks. Now, they're not breaking any rules here. They're not breaking the law. At least we don't think they're breaking the law. But people are not happy at all with the way Ryanair are handling cancelled flights and refunded money. We've had uh, quite a few uh, contacts with regards to that. But first this morning, let's turn to people that we devoted quite a lot of time to on the programme uh, last week when they lost their jobs in a cruel and unusual fashion. And I'm talking about the workers at Debenhams. Uh, followed, we think, by Oasis and Warehouse and Laura Ashley uh, going by the board. But first, it was Debenhams and people who thought when Debenhams closed for the COVID-19 shutdown that everything would be fine because they had done what needed to be done. They'd steadied the ship in the Irish shores and everything, every Irish stores and everything they thought would be okay and then cut off literally at the knees on Holy Thursday afternoon. They're protesting today, isn't it, Valerie? Good morning again. Good morning, how are you? Yes, we're pro- protesting today at 11 o'clock. Yeah. Outside the store, social distancing. Outside the store, social distancing, as careful as we can because we don't want to go beyond the regulations as, you know, it's not fair on everybody else. So, yes, it'll be 10 to 15 people outside the store, social distancing, with, um, and silent protest. Have you heard anything back from management since last week, since we talked last? We did have a meeting on Friday, a Zoom meeting on Friday, um, and the management, were, well, not our own store management, but management from Devons were there, and the KPMG, Andrew, was there. It wasn't really a question and answers call unfortunately it was more just explaining the process to us so we're really so still in the same boat we still don't know really what's happening what's the process as you've been given to understand it so now we're waiting they have they normally it is that they go back into court for, uh, after a month but it's the judge shortened it to two weeks so that's unusual in itself 
Um, we still actually haven't been given with our formal notice. It's liquidated that does that. So we are, we're assuming it'll be after the two weeks when they go back into court that that'll happen. Mm, you've no idea yet what kind of redundancy will be in place for you, what's going to happen that in that regard? Well, as far as the company is concerned, it's going to be statutory. So yes, there's a reason why we're out there this morning and why we keep putting ourselves out there. None of us really want to be doing this, yeah. but it's the unfortunate situation that we're in that we actually have to do it. Yeah, and, and you're looking to get a, a properly negotiated package. Exactly, exactly. There's people in there that have only just got mortgages, that they're expecting babies, and this is the last thing they need at this stage in their lives. Have you had much political support, Valerie? We have. We got a letter from Michal Martin. He's completely behind us. Um, any any of the TDs that we actually wrote to, they, they're all behind us. and They've all mentioned it in the dial. But we will be keeping reminding them also of this, just to keep it fresh on their minds and that they won't forget us. Because as I said last week, we're not, we're the first, but we're certainly not the last. And that proved it then the other day with Oasis Warehouse and Laura Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, all these English companies came into Ireland. We waited for them and waited for them. They all came into Ireland and now they're leaving us all very fast. Yeah. Yeah. They're cutting Ireland off. Exactly. To save exactly. themselves in the UK. That's yeah, how it yeah. looks. It is, yeah. It is. Because even I was reading a thing on the paper the other day. I can't remember which paper because I'm reading so many of them at the moment. And um, they were explaining, the CEO was explaining how they have to close um, seven stores in England and they're really sorry for the staff in the English stores and they were hoping this wasn't happening and in the next paragraph then and we're liquidating 11 stores in Ireland and no apology. Yeah. You know? Yeah, You can see why people are hurt and upset. Valerie, so that's 11 o'clock, isn't it? 11 o'clock, yes. At the stores? Uh, in At the, the stores. Okay. Um, here and Mahan, uh, Patrick Street and Mahan Point. All right. Okay, Valerie, thank you very much for that. Move on to Madeline. Madeline, you spent 30 years between Debenhams and Roaches. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's correct, yeah. Wow. Wow. What a way to be told. What a way in an email. And you all thought, because people who've been there for as long as you have, you, you know the ground, you know when things are going well, you know when they're not, you knew what you had to do and you did it. Went above and beyond, as we keep saying, PJ. We were told two days beforehand for, um, in an email from the CEO of Debenhams that our jobs were safe, there was nothing to worry about, don't be listening to the media. Mm. We were fine. Yeah. And was this by your management on the ground? This was your management here on the ground rather than... No, it was Debenhams UK. We got it from. Yeah, and then and then, and then then Holy Thursday afternoon, it all comes Dolly crashing and, down. Yeah, and nothing, just contact government directly or citizens' advice for anything else that you need. Yeah, yeah. Devastation. Yeah, 30 years is an awful long time. 30 years, but I'm not the only one that I've said. As I said yesterday, there's people with 46 and 47 years service in there that give them their life yeah. to their job. Yeah. I suppose in different times, ordinary people could come out in the streets for you. They can't really. Of, co- of course, and as what we keep saying is we're so conscious of it, but there's never been a pandemic with a liquidation either, and so we have to stand up and do something because when this is all over, our jobs will be gone. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's looking like hundreds more like you. 
So following suit, we said it from last week, we were the first and we won't be the last. Yeah. How have you digested the news, if you have, over the last week and a bit? Like when you sit in the evening and you think about it. I actually don't think I've thought about it because I think we're on a mission. There's a couple of us there, there's five or six of us constantly on the phones, emailing, onto the TDs and everything. And I think I haven't thought about it. It's my first thought, though, when I wake in the morning, it's just like a lump in my chest. Yeah. Is it really real? I even said this morning when I got up, I feel like I'm going to work today because I'm up so early and I'm getting the bits and pieces done for the protest. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible feeling. Yeah. I can't. I can't imagine it. I, I. I think I'm one of the very lucky people that I've never had to experience that in my entire life. And that's what we. There's a couple of us there are the same boat that we've never had another job. We don't know any difference. We've yeah. went in as a summer job after our leaving starts and loved it so much. To stay there. Is that how you went in there? That's how I went in. Straight after the leaving start in June, 1990. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, Madeline, my thoughts are with everybody who's going through this at the moment. Uh, and we'd just like to thank the people of Cork again. They've been so kind to us. Even when we've been in there last week getting the photographs of the evening and stuff, they're really, really have coming out and supporting us, and we do appreciate it. Okay. Madeline, you take care of yourself. Thanks very much. And uh, Valerie, uh, before her, uh, the staff uh, of Debenhams gathering social distancing outside the stores in Patrick Street and in Mahan Point at 11 o'clock. 1850-715-996. With regard to the people uh, coming out that maybe weren't coming out last week, Kevin says this stay-at-home order has become a standing joke now. Stay at home. Don't go out unless it's for essential items. Don't travel further than two kilometres. 77 people dead yesterday. I genuinely feel for the staff and all staff who lose their jobs. I'm one of them, but we're supposed to be at home. Yeah, we'll talk more about that 77 dead figure, which is a horror, t- terrible to hear it. It was it was shocking when the bip came up on my phone yesterday evening. It was, oh God, no. It's it's a different reporting of the figure. It wasn't 77 in one day, thankfully. We think this was spread over as many as 16, 17 days. It doesn't make it any easier to take, but that's a better explanation of, of that figure. 1850-715-996. Call us as some builders are back working as work was half done and they stopped in the middle of it. Yeah, can you imagine having had a house extension half started and maybe a roof taken off or a window or a door knocked in? You wouldn't be too happy sitting through this couple of weeks with a bit of tarpaulin or plywood. You'd at least hope they can get that much finished. Maybe they're going back to do that. Hello, everyone. Just like to express my fears as my husband works on a construction site and I have an underlying condition. When there was way less cases, the whole country was locked down. Now the numbers are high and they want to ease the lockdown as if they want to have more people to be sick. I'm aware there's loads of money at stake, but I just don't get why open, why, why they take such risks. Uh, if they test, I don't understand the last bit of that message, but I, I get I get the gist of it. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Spacious, convenient, and still open every day. Selfservicelaundry.ie Cork's 96FM now brings you even more music choice. Streaming online. Listen to the hit mix for fresh new music. Fresh new music. And the all-new Cork's 96 FM Fit Mix. It's the perfect sound.
soundtrack for your workout. Your workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go to 96fm.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-3696. On Court's 96fm. We had a query came in on WhatsApp from uh, Carolina and she asked a question that I'm sure will ring with a lot of people. Uh, my mum was diagnosed with the virus. Her two weeks quarantine is coming to an end from the day of the test. She was quarantined for a week already pending the test. Before that, there are no tests been carried out to see if the patient is no longer contagious. She's been in a room now for three weeks and is becoming very upset. We don't know if she should come out because nobody knows. They don't want to test her to see if she's no longer contagious. Nobody's giving us any answers. We're all upset because we don't know what to do. There aren't even facilities to house the infected with mild symptoms, yet the hotels stand empty. So what I take from that is her mom was diagnosed and self-isolated for two weeks and now doesn't know whether she can come out or not. Because maybe, is she still contagious? Is she not? Is she okay to come out? Is she not? And you can appreciate, after nearly three weeks in one room, cabin fever is the least of it. Dr. Dermot Quinlan's a GP in Glenmire. Dermot, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And I suppose, firstly, I'd like to express my condolences for that family and their mum. And, uh, you know, clearly she's feeling the, the, the stress of this COVID-19 virus. I suppose I would think the good news for her, you know, and we'd be very clear on this, that if she has tested positive that and she self-isolates for 14 days from the onset of symptoms, provided she hasn't had a fever in the last five days of that 14 days, then she is no longer contagious. Is that she, the indicator? Yes. Right. So I, if she's positive, self-isolate for 14 days, no fever for the last five days, she's, she's no longer contagious and she's free to come out again. And, you know, it sounds like she's among the majority of people and about 80% of people who are infected with COVID-19 have a very mild illness, you know. So these people should do what's recommended, which is self-isolate for 14 days, the last five days without fever, and then they're no longer contagious. So it's, it's, it should be safe enough for her mom to come out now? Absolutely. And obviously observing the social distancing that the rest of the population are, are observing. Um, but, you know, that's a much easier uh, situation than, than self-isolating in a room in her home and, you know, meals drop, brought to her door and, you know, using a separate bathroom and things like that. There is a really good leaflet on the HPSC website about self-isolation. And I would encourage people to have a look at that if they just look up the HPSC website. Um, I thought the other issue that it comes back to is, and I'm sorry for her to feel that she's not getting any support or advice from the community, because certainly our medical community, because certainly general practice is open and, you know, we are available to our patients. We continue to work and, you know, I would encourage anyone who's concerned about test results, be they positive or negative or self-cocooning or self-isolation, to call your GP and, you know, we are doing phone calls and video consultations, and that's often sufficient. Uh, we are sending electrician, uh, prescriptions electronically for our patients. Mm-hmm. We also have more and more patients who need to come into the practice that we need to examine them, and we have a system in place to ensure that's safe. We're very important that children, and particularly babies, continue with their childhood vaccines because we don't want an outbreak of meningitis in a few months' time. Yeah. Um, and I suppose one of the things the HSE have set up, and it's just 
become operational at the end of last week in St Mary's is, is a community assessment hub for people yeah. who are unwell with COVID-19 and that's running very well. The HSC have done an amazing job in getting it up and running in a very short period of time. Yeah. It's staffed by GPs, nurses and other healthcare professionals and it's referral from a person's own GP. So if a person is unwell and they contact their GP and the GP feels that they may be sick enough possibly to go to hospital, possibly not, then the GP can send a referral electronically to, to have the person assessed in the COVID assessment or community assessment hub right. in St Mary's. Um, so it's not a walk-in service, it's by referral and by, by appointment referral. from the GP. Because that was a worry, wasn't it, Dermot, among GPs that, look, you know, the impression is out there that we are completely overrun by COVID-19 and that if you just woke up with a pain in your belly, stay at home. I suppose very much the, the cases that we, you know, I, what we didn't want was people coming, uh, yeah, arriving unannounced into general practice or hospital settings because they could either contract the disease or bring it with them. So we have put in place, since the start, we've put in place really good systems to ensure that patients who come into general practice and hospital settings are are as safe as can be. Um, and we would encourage people not to ignore their symptoms, whether it's chest pain or a lump, because unfortunately, we know that the number of people diagnosed with, say, a heart attack in Cork is lower compared to the same time last year. Yeah. And the concern is that these people are simply ignoring their chest pain. You know, we know that the number of breast, of cancers diagnosed since the COVID crisis has started is down from what it should be. So again, we are concerned that people are ignoring their symptoms. Yeah. So we will be very clear that general practice is open. We are available to our patients. And you know, if you have medical concerns, please pick up the phone and talk to your GP. Mm. Then we can help. Is that the one proviso, Dermot? Don't don't just rock up to the door. Ring first. I think people have got that message very clearly. That, but I think the concern is that they they take it to the next level and they're, they're not making contact. So right. we would say, you know, do make contact. Don't ignore your symptoms. Make contact with your GP. Often we can do it with a phone call, a video consultation, and we're doing lots. Well, lots of people are coming in, particularly for childhood vaccines and okay. sort of essential blood tests. So we are very much open to see patients who need to be seen. Come back to the the COVID issue just to wrap up, Diamond. Um, the question that I think people like Carolina will ask, and any and her mom in particular, and anybody else who's been through, like you said, the mild form of the illness, which thankfully we're saying nearly 80% of, of us will or have gotten. Are you then immune? Do we know yet? We don't know yet. It's too early to say. And um, I suppose the evidence continues to evolve. So, you know, I think it's important really just that we be vigilant with the elderly, vulnerable groups, that people age 65 and over, you know, continue the physical distancing. And we know from surveys that the vast majority of people are doing that and washing people's hands. So if you wash your hands properly, it's the single best way of preventing one getting that virus. And, you know, this will all come to an end. Public health will decide when, when it happens, you know. And, uh, you know, I suppose we're doing well on an international basis. You know, we are flattening the curve mm. and the rate of increase in cases is falling. And um, so I think it's... it's mm keep going we are doing we're, we're doing all the right things we just yeah, need to keep doing them is the message we're getting yeah, i think absolutely right. and if people are unwell contact their gp all right Dermot, thank you for that that's dr Dermot quinlan who's a gp based in in Glanmire. his important message first of all to carolina is your mom should be fine to come out now and resume normal life if you haven't had a fever for five days maybe take her temperature and if you got no fever yeah but 
if you've got no fever for, for four or five days, come out. Come out. You're grand. You can resume normal life, as normal as it can be these days. We don't know about immunity yet. The science isn't certain just yet. And for someone who has something going on that they're not happy with, be it a pain or an ache or something that wasn't there last week and is there this week, ring your GP. Ring them. Because they are seeing people. It's not all overrun by COVID-19. Thankfully. 1850-715-996. Kevin is back with the 77 deaths reported yesterday, which I, I agree with you, Kevin, was a very distressing figure to hear. The explanation, which is published in many of the newspapers this morning, is this is a cumulative series of reports adding to 77. So it wasn't 77 in one day. It helps to explain it, says Kevin, but I'm worried now that we're becoming numb to it. We're hearing numbers every day. We're not putting it into context that they're actually people. If it was 77 people died in a bus crash, the reaction would be very different. And you are absolutely right, Kevin. And we have to remember every day these are people with families and friends that love them and are bereft at their loss. In the middle of a pandemic, high numbers of mortality are becoming normalised, unfortunately. But it's just, it's another fact in the reporting of facts. There's no way to sugar it. You can't. That's the hard, hard problem. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open for all your essential fuels with drive-in or seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie. To the Irish people, I say thank you for the sacrifices you've made so far. We all want to be outside. We want to be with friends and family. We want to see the mountains and the sea. We want to be free. And I know it is very difficult, but every sacrifice that we make is helping to save lives. It's making sure that our health service is not overwhelmed. It's making things a little easier for those working on the front line. We live in challenging times. Look out for each other and stay safe. Be responsible. Follow COVID-19 guidelines. We'll update you with the latest advice and measures from official sources. We're online, on your phone, smart speaker and radio. Cork's 96FM. On behalf of the family, I'm just going to read out a prepared statement. As you can imagine, the murder of our beloved son Cameron and everything that has followed since has been a very harrowing time for us and all our family. Today has been equally distressing, but we welcome the conclusion of this aspect of the investigation into Cameron's cowardly murder. The life sentence handed down today will not bring our beloved Cam back, but will hopefully give some comfort, if not now, then over time. It is just over three months since our son was murdered. Having pleaded guilty, we were told that due to the fact that the accused was a juvenile, he had to be sentenced prior to his 18th birthday, resulting it appears to us in the case being expedited through the courts. This allowed little time for us to grieve as a family. We believe that this is something that needs to be examined and ask that the appropriate authorities look into this. Cameron, we miss you terribly. You will never be forgotten. You will always be remembered. In your short 20 years, you did a lot, we did a lot, and we thank you for the joy and love you brought into our lives. Until we meet again, rest easy in peace, Cam. And finally, as you are aware, there are other matters to come before the courts associated with Cameron's murder. We will not therefore be making any further comments at this time, and we ask that our privacy is respected while we come to terms with today's judgment and await what further proceedings are to come. 
That's Aidan Donnelly, uncle of the late Cameron Blair, reading a statement on behalf of the family outside the Central Criminal Court yesterday, where a teenager who murdered Cameron Blair uh, back in January was given a life sentence, with that sentence to be reviewed in 2032. Frank Graney was in court. Morning, Frank. Good morning. Tell me what happened yesterday. These are always, always distressing days, but tell me what happened. Well, yesterday, I suppose, was the finalisation of this young boy's... Um, well, he's not that young. He's just uh, a couple of weeks shy of his 18th birthday. We may talk about that in a little bit more detail because that was something that Aidan mentioned there in the clip. He spoke outside briefly, read out a two-page statement on behalf of the Blair family. Uh, he is Cathy's uh, brother, uncle to Cameron, and uh, the family was directly behind him then, uh, Cathy and uh, Cameron's father and his younger brother, Alan. Uh, they were all there showing great strength throughout. Cathy visibly upset, obviously, yesterday was very difficult for the family. Um, the sentence hearing took place earlier this month, and the judge then had to take some time to consider uh, the sentence because this boy did plead guilty to murder. We can't identify him because of his age, obviously, 17 years of age. Um, so he's considered a child in the eye, under the eyes of the law. Um, but the sentence hearing did take place a couple of weeks ago. There wasn't a mandatory life sentence then attracted to this um, conviction. The reason for that is because he is a child, he's treated differently mm. by the court. But we heard a little bit more detail, I suppose, about what happened to Cameron on that uh, tragic night uh, back on January twenty or on January 16th earlier this year. And on the day in question, we heard uh, that Cameron had actually worked a half day in his father's, uh, his father's an engineering business in uh, West Cork. Uh, he got showered afterwards. He then picked up three of his friends in Bandon Town. They headed for Cork City. It was Freshers Week and they were planning to go to a house party uh, on Bandon Road. Uh, five students lived in the house that was hosting that party. Cameron and the guys uh, knew these uh, people. They had a few drinks in Cameron's before they went to the party. They got a taxi. Cameron paid uh, for the taxi. We heard there were about 25 people in the house at any given time, mm. uh, but about 50 in total came and went throughout the night, and Cameron was acting as a doorman of sorts. So he was the one who was deciding who was allowed in and who wasn't. Um, Cameron... Uh, sounds like a very responsible young man. He was just 20 years of age, but uh, he did have certain leadership qualities, so it came as no surprise that he was the one elected to to um, to, to decide who came in and, and who didn't. And indeed, it was, it was a job that he did quite well because we heard that he did turn away a number of people for being too drunk. Now, he didn't know the boy who was to later take uh, his life. This boy um, was out with some friends that night. We heard that uh, he and his friends befriended a very drunk, a homeless man. They could hear there was a party in the house as they passed it and the homeless man banged on the door tried to push his way in and uh, there was a bit of chewing and froing were heard outside but Cameron extended the hand of friendship he didn't know any of these guys but he vouched for them uh, the others weren't happy about it but he described them as being tome or sound and at some point the court heard uh, the boy became paranoid he armed himself with a knife in the kitchen uh, he didn't reveal it in the house instead he kept it down his trousers he hid it within arms uh, reach down the side of the couch now the party continued the boy and his friends became very intoxicated. We heard they were no longer welcome at the party. Uh, so the partygoers devised a plan whereby uh, they would pretend they were heading into town. And some of them even left the house to keep up yeah. that pretense. Yeah. Things outside the house then became uh, quite heated. And, and uh, Cameron was still at the door, obviously, trying to calm the situation down. And this is when the young boy, again, just 17 years of age, produced this knife. He was seen to be waving it around, laughing while tapping it off his leg. Uh, some of the people at the party, some passers-by became quite concerned, rang Gardaí, and despite the Gardaí getting there very quickly, 
unfortunately it was too late for Cameron because the boy out of nowhere um, attacked him with this knife he plunged it once into Cameron's neck Cameron didn't realise that he'd been stabbed initially he was obviously in some shock he went back into the house with his friends and that's where he collapsed and we heard his final words were to one of his friends don't worry lad he said to him I don't want to be fighting and then he smiled he closed his eyes we heard and sadly he didn't open them again it's an unspeakable tragedy, Frank. It really is an unspeakable tragedy. Um, I think that the family are taking Aidan Donnelly's statement there, or his reading of their statement. They're not happy with the process. Would I be right in, in, in that assessment? I, I think that's a fair assessment. And this all, I mean, Cameron, Cameron died back in January. This is only three months later. So this all happened very quickly. And the reason for that is the boy, again, just 17 years of age, um, is going to turn 18 uh, in a very short period. So there was, um, I, I suppose, on the court's behalf and on his defence team's behalf, there was a degree of urgency in getting this case uh, dealt with. And the, court, the judge did mention that at some point um, in the earlier sentence hearing, Mr Justice Paul McDermott. He said it's, it's always in a young offender's best interest to have their case dealt with as quickly as possible. And he said it was also of great ease to uh, the deceased man's family. Clearly that's not the case here because in that statement yesterday they did say that their grief was compounded some, somewhat by the fact that this was all done so quickly, expediated through the courts. The reason for that is if this boy had contested the charge, if he pleaded not guilty to the murder, and he did accept that he was responsible for Cameron Blair's murder, but if he had contested it, obviously the trial wouldn't have gone on in three months. Yeah. He would have turned 18. He would have been tried as an adult. And had he been convicted... He would have been sentenced as an adult. He would have been handed the mandatory life sentence that's handed down mm. to adult and, uh, murderers. And, and he would have been named, Frank. His anonymity now is protected in perpetuity, is it not? Cor correct, absolutely, yeah. You're, you're dead right. Um, under the Children Act, uh, we can't identify him at this point. We can't identify him past his 18th birthday. We can never identify uh, this boy. The family know who he is. The family was in court yesterday. They saw him in the dock. Um, receiving that sentence yesterday. But no, his, his identity will be protected and that's again another provision under the Children Act. How did he and those around him react when sentence was handed down? The, the boy initially when the sentence was handed down because it was a maximum uh, sentence that was handed down to him. The judge did obviously have some discretion because of his age um, but he did hand down a, a life sentence albeit with a review after 13 years. So his case will be reviewed in November of 2032 um, his earliest possible release date will then be January 2033 because he went into custody, obviously, in January after he was arrested uh, on this charge. He didn't give very much reaction when the, hand, when the sentence was initially handed down yesterday. I did notice as the judge was going through everything yesterday. It took some time for him to, to explain, I suppose, the sentence that he was handing down and how he arrived at it. Uh, the, the, the boy just kept looking to the floor. He wasn't engaging with anybody. And when the sentence was handed down, he didn't really give that much um, reaction. I think shock must have been setting in. Not that unusual, actually, for somebody to be handed a life sentence and give very little reaction. He was then surrounded by his family and uh, his legal team. And afterwards, then, he became inconsolable. And when he was taken away to begin his sentence, he was very, very upset. So, too, were the family. Mm. Now, I'm not too sure how much detail, if any, you can go into. But Aidan Donnelly also referred in his statement to further matters to, to, to be dealt with. Can you enlighten us at all, Frank? I can't go into too much detail in relation to that because, as Aidan Donnelly did say correctly on behalf of the family yesterday, there are other matters that are before the courts and we can't at this point uh, 
uh, discuss those in any great detail. But um, when they do become come before the courts, we'll be in a position to talk about them then. I'd be happy to do so. All right. Well, I appreciate that and we look forward to it. Thank you very much, uh, Frank Graney, uh, courts reporter, um, on the sentencing of the young man who killed Cameron Blair on the 16th of January at a house party in Bandon Road in Cork. It's a case of which we shall hear more because there were more things to happen that led jailed now until at least 2033 when the case will be reviewed. Elaine says such a needless, senseless loss of life. Impossible for parents to come to terms with that loss in those circumstances. Deirdre says, unfortunately, this murdering scrote will be out in 10 years. We need a complete overhaul of sentencing in this country as a matter of urgency. Well, it'll be at least 12, Deirdre, but your, your comment is noted. Anna says, I can only imagine the heartbreak his parents are feeling, such a senseless killing. Neve, so sad for his family. God rest his soul. Hope his killer spends his life in jail, not just... 13 years, as mentioned, a life for a life. Eleanor, heartbreaking, can't get the boy out of my head, even as he lay there dying. His last words were words of kindness, which they were. Kate says, is it just me or is there more concern for the killer than for the victim? Don't know, Kate. Don't know. 1850-715-996. Also, of course, we should remember, uh, back to those difficult days of January, that within days of Cameron's death, two separate people came forward on the opinion line, mothers of of young girls for whom Cameron had intervened and stood up against school bullies. He was the kind of boy you think every mother or every dad wants to raise. You really do have to think that. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open every day for all your solid fuels. Barbecue, gas and charcoal. Solidfueldepot.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. We are getting messages on text or WhatsApp to 083-396-9696 suggesting that we name and shame the boy jailed for the killing of Cameron Blair. We cannot. Don't you get it? We cannot because his sentence took place under the Children Act. We cannot. His name is protected in perpetuity. That's just the law. And anyone who does it, by the way, on social media could also face the full rigours of the law. So don't be an idiot. Don't be a fool to yourself. Don't go naming anybody on social media. Because if you do, it's you're the idiot. Don't do it. It's the law. You mightn't like it, but that's, that's just how it is. 1850-715-996. Of all the things cancelled... Because of the coronavirus. One that kind of slipped by because Easter did. And we were all locked up in our homes at Easter. One of the things that, that completely slipped by was, say, Thunderland. It's always part of Easter in Cork. It just slipped by. It never happened. Because all the fun fairs are off up and down the country. And Easter is when the season opens. In fact, in the last number of years, we've had two fun fairs in Cork. 
at Easter time. And uh, the whole funfair industry has shut down for the foreseeable because of, of COVID-19. It's an industry we mightn't have, have thought of. Charles O'Brien, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Um, it is an it, industry we wouldn't have thought of, and I guess apologies for forgetting you guys. Well, if, if you like, that's part of what we do. Um, for, for, for you know, in, in Ireland in particular, we, we go back, the show and circus industry goes back over 300 years. And in Cork's case, say with Galabi Rock for the circuses and various other sites throughout the city, Pipers in Cork and down in Corsave would be a great example that everybody would know. We would, the, the showmen would just pop up for a summer or for a festival or for two weeks stand and then we'd move on. So part of our, our very existence was the fact that we just would appear out of nowhere and then magically would disappear again so people can be forgiven. For, for if you like forgetting about us, you'd but, see the you'd see the structures starting to go in, say down there on Tremont Road. You, you'd, you'd see them or, or Kinsale Road. You'd see them going in maybe ten days beforehand or five days beforehand. Indeed, oh look, it, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's I mean, Fundland in particular is such a big operation; it takes about two weeks to build. Yeah, yeah, and employs quite a lot of people. I mean, again. There's like all industries, PJ. The show industry has has progressed enormously over the last say twenty thirty years. Yeah. So now the kind of machinery, the kind of of circus tents, the structure, how it's run as a business, as an industry, is unrecognisable. And it's a very um, it's a great um, um, employer, and it's uh, it's it's the, the sheer scale of it has increased over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is everything now warehoused, shedded? Shut down yep. for the foreseeable. Basically, every every show family, and, and we'd estimate there, I mean, at a rough estimate, there'd be about 120 distinct show families. Because yeah. it is very much a community um, of its own. Yeah. The, the show and circus community in Ireland, in fact, we, we, we've applied for UNESCO Heritage um, recognition as a cultural asset, as a separate asset, and we're hoping to getting that. Yeah. But uh, it, 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 they're all basically in what I call in the winter quarters. They're all um, some of them got out of the traps. They'd have been a little bit out. They'd have been one or two weeks out. Most didn't get out of the traps at all because Paddy's Day would have been the first yeah. um, festival that they would have gone to. And when you um, mention show families, you're talking about the Duffies of this world, the Fossets, the, the, the Birds, the, who the deal... Pipers, yeah. the Murrays, the Curries, the yeah. Birds, yeah. Um, the Fossets, um, yeah. Uh, right up and down the country, and I, you know, as I said, there there are heading well over 120 distinct families, all Irish, all with well over 150, 200, 300 years tradition of doing this every year, like predating the state, predating 1916. Yeah. Uh, we were only talking with them about a couple of weeks ago, and and, and I suppose one of the no, and no more than any other industry or family-run business, we've we've weathered television, talkies. When, yeah. when, when side of films came in, everyone said that's the end of circuses and shows and, and fun fairs. Then the talkies come in, then television came yeah. in, then, you know, uh, Xboxes and the electronic no. media and so Nothing, media. nothing beats the we big weather, top. We weather them all. Nothing and, and beats we, the And of big course, top, along with yes, the rest nothing. of Ireland, we'll weather this. Yeah. But yeah. it's hard. You're talking about an, a whole tranche, if you like, of traditional Irish family businesses going back g- generations. Uh, like, about how many people involved in total would you think? Well, if you take it that at our reckoning we have about rough calculations, about 100, 120 families or units 
And then within those families alone, there'd be you know roughly four to six just core family members involved. Right. And then again, going out, sort of pulling out from that in terms of employees and employment, maybe another ten. Yeah. So you know you, you, you're going up into the thousands you are. of of direct employment. And you talk, um, and then the hundreds of people who take indirect employment around the country for the whole season, as as each fun fair moves and each circus moves, they take on people locally. Well, well, the, the, the more and more that that used to happen quite a lot up to the sixties and maybe even the early seventies. Right. Um, like everybody else, health and safety, um, those those dreaded, uh, much feared words in every business, right? But uh, in our game. The the, the 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 thing of taking on local employment or local labour has diminished. Now, if there are people who would be known to the to the to, to the operation and they've been doing it like a long time, yeah. they'd like be like constant regular local labour. I think it might still happen. Yeah. But by and large, now our business is so well organised as as a sector, yeah. um, that and, and so well regulated that our health and safety regulations are stringent. And you can't just employ. Yeah. Um, you have to know uh, who you're taking on. Labor. You can, for instance, in, in in again, I'm using Cork because of where 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 you're based. That pipers in Crosshaven would have local labour, but they'd be there. They'd be a a, a, um, a site that would be there all summer. Sure. Pipers again, is as old as, as Crosshaven itself. Labor. Charles, do people? St- I, I guess what you've just been saying to me for the last. T- Two, two minutes kind of knocks out my next question as in people don't run off to join the circus anymore do they they don't run away to join the circus oh they do do they I did. I'm from Cork I'm from the lock <laughs> right and you ran away um, to join the circus I was with Fawcett's for a number of years I'm, I'm the spokesman now for the Irish Showman's Guild which again is even you think that the community of showmen is hidden and, 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 and it's a very good very good description the Showman's Guild which is the if you like the representative body Yes. It's even more hidden, and it's a guild that, that represents the the, 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 the the needs and um, of showmen in Ireland, yeah. and I, I'm now representative for them, right. but I worked with Fawcett's for 20 years. I'm interested, though, in the fact that you ran away from the... You have what I might call... Maybe I'm making a wrong call here. You have what I might call a ringmaster's voice. Am I wrong? There are, there are two. There's a number of ringmasters, but there are two in particular. David Duffy and Marion Fawcett are now sharpening the nails, if you say that. <laughs> And, so and why did you why did you run away? Why, going, you know what? What did you run away to do? I, it's a long story, man. And it's, it's, you know, I, I, I was I was the marketing guy up in Mosley and Buttons for years. Right. Um, I knew the Fossets and indeed I knew the Duffies um, socially because effectively Mosley, to all extent and purposes, was was a fun first of all because they didn't move. Yes. And because I knew them when Mosley closed, and um, the Fossets said, "Would I come and work for them for a while to?" Help market it, and then we 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 made circus was recognised as an art form. We 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 lobbied hard over two years in two thousand and two. We had circus recognised as an art form by the Arts Council in two thousand and two, which helped enormously. Um, and I stayed, came for six weeks, and never left. <laughs> and do people still, for example, see? This is all romantic stuff now from watching too many years of circus movies and Billy Smart's Christmas Circus and all this kind of thing. Do people still go to the circus as little kids and see someone up on a trapeze or a tightrope and go, I want to do that, and, and run away and learn? Yes. They do, do they? Funnily enough, bringing it back to Cork, and it's not it's not that difficult, down there in, in, the, in the start of the 
the, the road leading down to the marina, the top of the marina road. And I used to be father of Kilmeade because he worked there for years, top of Albert Road. I can't remember the name of it, but um, heading down towards the showgrounds there. Um, there's the Cork um, Circus School oh, run by yeah. the lads. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this. And it's thriving. Now, when I say thriving, beyond thriving. Now, they'd be hit as well. I mean, this is the other thing. Like, it's it's the ripples are out there. And the lads worked hard, hard to build that up. And, and they've got it. And, like, the, the circus scene in Cork, circus skill scene in Cork, is thriving. There are people who leave work of a Tuesday evening in, 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 in normal times when we're pre-COVID, PC, when, when, and, and they'd go down, leave work, go down, change, and at 6 o'clock they were up learning a trapeze or they were learning high wire or they were learning something. Right. Until and 7 o'clock and then they go home have the dinner and go back into the office or go back into the shop on Wednesday morning. And, and who teaches them? Um, circus professionals. Um, there's two or three lads in Cork who are very, very good at it. They're not from traditional circus backgrounds, but they would have learned circus skills either um, in Belfast in the circus school or working with circus. Some of them have worked with us and with Duffy's yeah. and and Gerbolas. And, and, um, and that whole... I suppose, interest in circus and indeed fun fair. I mean, in Ireland, there will be quite a number of circuses, but there'll be an infinitely greater number of fun fairs. Yeah. And the show families in Ireland, a lot of the fun fair families would have had show backgrounds. Um, the the fit-up theatres that would have toured, which would have been theatre basically touring under a tent. Yes. Which were here in Ireland up until the 60s. Yeah. Um, a lot of the families that are now touring fun fairs would have come out of that. Yeah. Um, a lot of incredible technicians would have come out of it too. God, if you can, if you can get a fun fair technician, they can do anything with a screwdriver and two rubber bands. Like these guys and, are and the best. <laughs> these and, guys and, and are the best. Base and that skill set is out there and yeah. um, is sitting now, as you said earlier, dormant yes. in in the yards, in the farms, in the warehouses, waiting to go back out once this is lifted and that's our fear and, and are people like, like everybody that, else we don't know when yeah are people like that Charles are they are they eligible for things like COVID payments and all that they are to the lar- um, I, and we know quite a number of them already have we're in the midst at the moment within the guild of just trying to survey our members to find out how many have applied how many have got it how many if there were refusals on what basis um to be fair, as an organisation, we have a very good working relationship with the various bodies in the departments. Um, um, we're an unknown quantity. As you said, people, if, if they think about our business at all, they just think of it as, oh yeah, they come into town, as you said there, Funderland in Cork means Easter. But see, Funderland in Dublin means Christmas. Yes. Funderland in Belfast means Halloween. Yes. Um and one phenomenon in the last number of years, like the number of festivals that have popped up throughout the country, um, new festivals that would have popped up in every town, Mitchellstown, Clonakilty, Yall, you know, and, and smaller. Um, the core of the festival, what would make a lot of these festivals financially viable is the fun fair. Is a fun fair. Yeah. Quickly, before I let you go, any idea when we might see them back again with us, Charles? We, at the moment, we're, we're, look, to, 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 to quote everyone else, we are guided by um, the medical shops who come out and tell us when we can. But what we are looking at is one, when, when that happens, like every other industry, we're going to have to row in um, and, and see how we can adapt. If we have a fun fair that would normally have 
500 people on the site at any given time. We may have to have an operation that has 200 people on the site at any given time. We will have to work within a new set of rules along with everybody else. But what we will say is the one thing that we can bring to people when this awful stage finishes is we sell fun. That's what we do. We've done it for 300 years. And you've done it very well. And I, I note that it would have been 25 years this year since the first Easter Funderland. And that's a, a sad point at which to, to finish. But please uh, convey our, our thanks for the entertainment and the fun to everybody in the industry that ever comes to Cork. We will indeed, and all we ask is when, when, when we're back... Come in, back out to us. In we droves. Like open arms. In droves. Thank you, Charles. Charles O'Brien, head of the Showman's Guild. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text or the WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Caller says her son's a full-time worker with a fun fair. He applied for the COVID payment, still hasn't heard a bit. She wonders if they're taking him seriously. He's paid stamps and all. She thinks they just can't deal with the fact that fun fairs have full-time workers, but they do. That's interesting. Maybe contact the, the showman's and maybe they'd be able to, to help him out because clearly, clearly Charles and his team are across it. But it might be worth doing that. I will go through the numbers later in the morning. Um, the numbers yesterday were particularly shocking with the 77 deaths as a headline figure. It breaks down into a number collated over a few days, as many as 17 or 18 days. It doesn't make it any easier and the families and the relatives and friends involved. But I will go through them. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit about conspiracy theories flying around to do with uh, COVID-19 and, and how do we deal with them. I'll be getting to that at some point later this hour. But first of all, imagine getting a proposal of marriage on Zoom in the middle of a quiz. Hello, Nessa. Hi, PJ. Good morning. How are you? Great. All together. You got a proposal from himself yes. on Zoom during a quiz. I'll get to that a little bit later on. How long are you together and, and how did you meet? So we're together we're together three years now since January. So we met in January 2017 on a ski trip. So mutual friends that asked me to go on a ski trip and it was kind of a big group of people and he happened to be one of the big group and we met on that trip. We've been together ever since. And yeah. he's in Dubai at the moment. He's in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 The so, view um, from his balcony is the envy of any man. I saw it on the news last yeah. night. Yeah, it is. It's fabulous, yeah. And, and you're in the Navy. How long is it since you actually saw each other? So we were actually together. Um, I went over on the 12th of March, just kind of at the beginning of all of this, the, the pandemic, and we didn't know how things were going to escalate, but it happened very fast, and I ended up coming home pretty much straight away after going over. And it was hard leaving because I suppose at the time, leaving him, we didn't know how, how long it was going to be before we got to see each other again. So um, we've been we've been very lucky. We've been trying to get to see each other as often as we can between my schedule and work and, and uh, you know, him being over there. But, he he um, lives there, does he? 
He does. He went out there on a contract in 2018 and it was initially supposed to be six months and got extended and it's, it's been extended ever since. So he's still out there. Mm. Yeah. So I think I'd keep re-signing a contract for that view from my balcony. So. <laughs> yeah, so would I. So would I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now, tell me, what were you actually doing on Zoom when Bobby popped the question? So... We've, uh, as a family, we're kind of coming together every week to do a quiz. So um, different person organises every week, and uh, it happens to be I'd won it the week before, so it was my turn to host it. And Bobby said he'd help out with the hosting of it. And uh, yeah, so that's that, that's what it was. But my whole family were there. I've got two sisters and a brother, and uh, obviously my parents were there as well. So yeah. Did anybody else know what he was going to do? My parents were, my, he'd, he'd, he'd made the call to my parents, so um, we had discussed, we had discussed getting married, obviously, but um, I never thought I'd be proposed to over Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> now, Zoom is something that's come into all of our front rooms in, yes. in the last few weeks. It was a thing people had meetings on. Now we're having a drink with friends across Zoom. It's, it's become part of what we do in, in the last few weeks. Um, so how many people were on screen chatting when, when this question popped up? So obviously Bobby and I were there individually. So he was in Abu Dhabi, I was here in Cork. Then I had a brother and my sister-in-law and their daughter. Uh, they were in Dublin. My sister and brother-in-law and also in Dublin with their twins, their 10-week-old twins. My parents in Tipperary and another sister and her husband in Tipperary also. So, yeah, so all in separate houses. So mm. there was, um, so yeah, six of us. And uh, six, does he type the questions or does he read them out? So you can actually do a PowerPoint screen um, as part of the Zoom. So if you're doing a meeting, you can the person hosting the meeting can flash up a PowerPoint. Right. So he had been doing, um, you know, kind of what is the symbol. So, you know, Mr. Pringle was up, so people had to say, you know, it's Pringles or the shell symbol or whatever. So he had done a round of that. So he had the PowerPoint up on screen. And actually, one of the family had just asked him, could he take down the screen so that we could see everybody again? And he said, no, no, I'm just going to leave it up for a second. And then up came the question. So it was actually my brother-in-law in Tipperary was very quick off the mark. He had his phone beside him. He picked up the phone and started to video it. So hence, we have it on record now. So it's a lovely. <laughs> How did you react? Um, I, I couldn't catch my breath for a few seconds. Um, I think it was more that the reaction of the rest of the family kind of stumped me as well. It was just, yeah, it took my breath away, really. So um, obviously very happy. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Now, have you any idea, I suppose you haven't, when the big day might be? I mean, it's all probably dependent on COVID. When will you even get to see him again is dependent on COVID. Yes. Everything now is dependent on um, on, on COVID and, and the guidelines that the government are, are giving us. You know, we don't know when air travel is going to happen. Um, you know, so and we, we're very conscious of the fact that there's a lot of people who are due to get married around now and have had to postpone. So we're not making, I mean, we're just so happy to be engaged and yeah. enjoy this time. And it's just such lovely news. It's and a lovely it's, story. It really is yeah, a lovely, yeah, lovely, yeah. happy story. Yeah. And tell me... Um, how is the situation in, in Abu Dhabi? Is he locked down? Is he confined to barracks or what? They are locked down. Now, they are, they're allowed to get out for exercise but, I mean, and, and do their shopping, but stay local. And they are, you know, they have to wear masks. They've, they've been issued with, um, I suppose, fines if you go to a supermarket now without a mask on. Really? You, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, they are taking it very seriously. Now, Dubai is a bit stricter. 
Um, in Dubai, if you want to leave your home at all, you actually have to pr- apply online for permission, even if it's to go to the shop or to get medical supplies. Get so away. Abu Dhabi hasn't gone to that extreme yet. But no, they're taking it. They do have a curfew as well. So they get a text every night to say, be indoors from 8 o'clock until 6 o'clock in the morning because there's a, a sterilization. They're calling it a sterilization scheme happening where everything, all public transport and public areas are being cleaned and that, you know. So, and it's hard because the weather's so beautiful over yeah. there and they're living on a beach and they just, they're not allowed onto the beach or anything like that, you know. Wow, so, that's tough. Oh, they're taking, they're, you know, at least they're taking it, obviously, like every country at this stage, they're taking it very seriously. So, I know he's safe. Yeah. But um, it's still difficult. Of course, still, it, is. Of course yeah. it is. Well, yeah. look, Nessa, yeah. congratulations to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. A, a, a lovely story. To... And we, try, we, like, we like to have a, a happy story every day throughout yeah. this COVID-19 because there's yeah. so much sadness. And uh, you brought it for us today. Nessa Maloney, congratulations. Thank you very best. much. And thanks to everybody for the wishes. It's just the wishes have been coming from far and wide. And it's just lovely to spread some happy news in these days. And Thanks indeed. a million. Thank you, Thanks. and so and, and, and so they should, Nessa. Thank you very much, and to Bobby as well. There's a thing, though. I mean, we think we're locked down. Now, he's okay in Abu Dhabi. In Dubai, get that one. You have to apply for permission to go out to the shop. Heck, lads, we don't know what lockdown is, do we? 1850-715-996. Great news for them both, though. Carla said they should lift the restrictions locally here. Uh, a small bit, but keep wearing masks and gloves. Let people go 10 kilometres, not just two. 1850 This is people who think we're living under a tough regime. Just at the end of that, if you think this is tough, <laughs> try Dubai, where you have to get permission to go to the shop. Like pint of milk, half dozen eggs, loaf of bread, you need to go online, get permission, and then there's a curfew. Wow. 1850-715-996. Congratulations to Nessa and to Bobby. All sorts of stories flying around with regard to COVID-19. I guess one day soon or one day down the line, we will eventually know exactly where it came from and exactly how it got into circulation. The official story, of course, is a market in Wuhan, in China and a bat and some or other some creature and that's the official story we still don't know whether it's the actual truth but there are all sorts of different versions of events going around and then you have all sorts of nonsense going around about 5G and this that and the other and and vaccines that have neurotransmitters in them and this that and the other like there's every kind of a conspiracy theory How do we figure out the truth from the nonsense? We don't even know if the bat and the market is the official story. We don't actually know the official origin of it. That's the fact. The the other story that started to go around now is one that when I had a chat yesterday with the the Gabby Cabby, Peter Franklin in New York, he brought up another story that's going around. When, When people first started discussing it, the question was, oh, no, it came from some kind of wet market in China and completely accidental. They're now up to the point where they're firmly convinced, people in the street and our government, that this was a weapon that was being developed by China and it just got out of hand. Is that getting traction, Peter? Uh, yeah, a lot of traction, a lot of traction. 
And it's not against Chinese people. Don't I don't want anybody to get the impression that we're walking around beating up Chinese people. And that, that's not what's happening. No Chinese person has to be afraid to walk on the streets in New York. But no, that's getting more and more uh, traction uh, because people are angry and upset. Okay. Dr. Francis Sheely is an epidemiologist at UCC. Uh, Francis, good morning. Good morning, PJ. The truth is we don't actually know at all, do we? Um, I sp- there are many things because it's a new illness that we don't know. But in all of these things, we have to apply logic. That's that's the first thing. And you know, as epidemiologists, we, we learn this in, in our training. Is something plausible? That's the first thing you, you know you'd ask yourself. Mm. So there are always going to be the conspiracy theorists. I suppose the most obvious example that did a lot of damage um, to public health would have been Andrew Wakefield and the vaccines in relation to the MMR. And we're now seeing the effects of that with the mumps outbreak, which has really taken a back seat uh, mm. since COVID-19, um, you know, has taken off. But there, we had huge problems, particularly in our third levels, with the uh, mumps outbreak. Mm. And, you know, that's the ill effects of that then. So um, right now, there are hundreds of studies being registered and there's a lot of research going on on COVID-19. So we can't give specific answers on the facts around COVID-19 and it'll be some time yes. before we can do that. I was that you've led me into my next question. There's there's a movie which you may well have not have seen. I know that professionals hate watching movies because they think no that can't happen, but there's a movie on Netflix called Contagion which mm-hmm. goes through an outbreak, a pandemic and gets right down and the very last scene is patient number 1. In investigating something like this is there a, a constant search for patient number one or cause number one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I have seen the movie, and um, I, I love all those kind, any kind of medical movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you always. So you hear like when, when we listen every evening, as, as most people are probably glued um, to the TV, how many um, new deaths, and you know, my sympathies to all the families out there that that are experiencing these. these um, you know, very hard times. Um, you, they're always talking about contact tracing, and that's really important to stop the spread of an outbreak. Because if you can trace um, each index patient, we call it, and how many people they infect, um, then we know where we're going with regards to containing the disease. So you'll have heard them talking about this or. Or, or not, not, or zero, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that is the number of that tells us the number of people each patient is infecting. So if you, for every, every time somebody tests positive, and there are teams of people. In fact, the the, the Boo Library in UCC has become uh, set up by our own School of Public Health has, has become a contact tracing centre. Um, the more testing and tracing you can do, the more you can contain the disease. Mm. Now, how do we separate, because we are surrounded by so many different sources of news and information, and I constantly here give out the numbers, say, for the official HSE website, the offic- any official lines of information, and when we, when we bring something to air, we try to make sure that we've it checked two or three times. But, but how do you filter out the fact from the nonsense when you're, when you're trying to inform yourself about something like COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, well, just as you as you've said there, the most important thing, obviously, you know, we're all on Twitter and um, a lot of social media, and 
we've seen several times, you know, some um, a message coming around saying, oh, there's a, a text message floating around and it's going to infect your phone or whatever. And then the next one comes and says, oh, no, it's not. This was all a scam. So um, in the same thing in relation to health concerns. So you have to, first of all, um, go to a reliable, what you know is a reliable website. In this instance for COVID-19, which is a hot topic, um, you know, the WHO, the, the World Health Organization, the Irish Medical Organization, where we know that evidence that is put up there has already been um, checked. Mm. Um, so that, now, why I'm speaking to you this morning, then... Um, in light of all of this, and the the, the iHealth Facts uh, website, which has been established, funded yes. by Evidence Synthesis Ireland, the Health Research Board, so these would be all Irish yeah. funders and research groups, have set up this um, website where if the public has a question, and it doesn't have to be COVID-19 related, and I can't stress that enough, they're obviously the, the hot topics at the moment, but it's for any health query, you can put your question in to the website and we have experienced evidence researchers who will first of all um, find the source of the claim and then go and look for reliable evidence to say whether it's true or not and they'll respond and put it back up on the website. So the, the most um, frequently asked question at the moment is does wearing face masks when you're not sick prevent COVID-19 infection. And what's the answer to that, Francis? So the answer is we have no evidence to say that uh, it does help. However, if you look then at the WHO guidance on this, so initially they said, no, don't wear them because it's not going to help. And I suppose if you think about it practically, the thinking around that was there was such a shortage worldwide of face masks that, you know, you don't want to take them away then from the people who do need them because it does help if an infected person wears them so um, but now they've changed their um, recommendation on that and again it comes back to our logic and is it plausible you know we know the virus particles are extremely small so some of them yes are going to get through um, you know regular pieces of cloth or cloth masks that you'll make at home but would it prevent some of it yes probably it would so you have to apply logic and then on the balance of probabilities you say to yourself it probably helps if I wear something but um, you know it's not going to prevent it totally and just to stress this does not mean that putting on the mask means I don't wash my hands and I don't have to do social yes. distancing. These are the most important things. These are the things we know do work yes. and have been researched. So it's really important to follow So in a, in a way, the jury is, is somewhat split still on masks. Yes, very, very split. And the masks one is actually very interesting. Um, I've been looking into that um, myself and there is a research article published in Nature and anybody that's involved in research or science will know, you know, this is a very reputable journal and we'd all love to have um, published material in this journal. And um, it's this has been tested on animal models. So it was tested using the H1N1, which is the swine flu, yes. on animal models, salt masks. Uh, so very, very simply, um, putting a layer of material into 
a mask that is uh, concentrated in salt crystals and it seems to be effective. It kills the virus. So there is um, a group that's patented, of course, and they are in the process of bringing these, uh, you know, manufacturing these. Whether they'll work for COVID-19 or not, again, we have to logically say they pro- it probably will. And, and so, isn't that the thing? And I had Dr. John Lambert, of whom I've no doubt you've heard from the Matter Hospital on yesterday morning, and he was stressing the importance at this point. We still know so, even though we know a lot more than we did three months ago, we still know so little about this beast. We're mm-hmm. only watching it to see how it behaves. Exactly. And we'll be watching it for a long time to come yet. Hopefully it'll get contained and be ready then for the next outbreak. Uh, because there, there is no doubt, and all the experts will say, this will come again. Um, so it's about being ready the next time. Containment right now and then being ready the next time. Like, is there any evidence out there that changes in the weather, like, for example, the flu dies off in summer, the common cold reduces in, in summer? Is there any evidence, for example, that, that this will, will be affected by summer weather? No. Um, at the moment, there is no evidence, and it's just waiting for the passage of time and give it another six months, and, um, you know, there, there will be some evidence to yeah. say whether this will be the case. Generally speaking, that's what's expected. Um, so, you know, what what happens then? It's it's so difficult, yes. you see. When the weather the weather will change then, and we'll say, is this, is this attributable to the weather? But maybe it's just the fact that the numbers die down from the social distancing. It's the whole correlation the causation measures. argument exactly. of science. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So, so, we, really, so we, we really don't know. And it, it seems to change its mind every day, which is the most frightening part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. it is. And it is, it is you know, it, it's difficult for everybody at the moment. These are extremely difficult circumstances. <laughs> Um, you know, ones that, that we haven't experienced before. And, you know, you, if you go back again to the conspiracy theorists, yes. and, you know, I heard your, your speaker yesterday. Again, we have to ask ourselves, you know, is it plausible? Maybe, you know, this, this idea that, you know, it didn't come from um, an, a market or an animal. Mm. You could say, yeah, maybe it could be plausible in, in today's mm. world. Well, you see, but we know that all over the world, Francis, laboratory experiments are taking place on all sorts of things. Absolutely. That's just science. It is, absolutely. But you have, you, you, you have to say to yourself, um, you know, does this sound, does it sound like it is? I mean, most of illnesses, you take Ebola, you know, all of the very, um, highly contagious ones they've all come from animals you know animal human interaction and then if you look at population density um we're very fortunate in ireland but if you take um china it's extremely dense and people live very closely you know their cultures they live very closely with with animals close by you know they're mixing Mm. in very high numbers so i would think yes it is more than plausible um and yes i would say this is where this this uh, came from and i don't know if um, your listeners are are in, interested in like you said uh, contagion is a movie but there's a more fact based one on netflix called pandemic i've and, seen the uh, trailer i have it i have it, <laughs> i have it logged to watch well it's a very interesting one to watch because because that is you know these people who were researching said it was they stopped filming last September and they said, we will have a pandemic. We don't know when, but it will come. And this is a, you know, it's a, it's a research-based uh, program about a person that's looking for um, a, a, a flu vaccine um, by taking 
all the strains over the previous years and trying to make one vaccine so that we don't have to get the flu vaccine annually. And that uh, it goes through the, the process of his research. It's funded now by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah. And it's very interesting, you Let's know, that... that. Exactly. Let's have a look. Finally, um, Francis, do you know, as, as, as an epidemiologist, uh, scientist looking at these things... And it is it is fascinating to see the great brains of the world come together on this. For listeners who are frightened, can you can you give them some encouragement that this will be sorted out? We will find a solution to this. Yes. I- um, absolutely. I have every confidence. Um, you, you know, you just need to look back at any other outbreak. I mean, you know, taking Ebola and it was contained. I think the most frightening thing for people now is how quickly it spread. And, you know, th- that has a lot got to do with how we travel. Will the world change after all of this? I do believe the world will change a lot. Um, you know, when we get back into normal activity, people will think more about where they're traveling and how yeah. often they're traveling. And, you know, we've all learned to work remotely, and I think there will be a lot more of that as well. But in terms of, you know, reassurance, yes, it will get sorted. This is a, you know, classic outbreak investigation uh, for epidemiologists, Um I think we're extremely fortunate in Ireland uh, that we have very capable people that are doing all the right things um, at the moment and the numbers are showing and the patterns are showing that we're doing as well as can be expected Mm. um, at the moment. And, you know, if you want to listen to somebody who makes a lot of sense, speaks a lot of common sense, Dr. Mike Ryan in the WHO is doing Ireland very proud. Yes. Um, You know, any time he speaks, he speaks logic and common sense to, to all of us. So, you know, listen closely to him. And if you have any queries now, or later when COVID-19 will die down yes. for sure, um, do go to ihealthfacts.ie. And that's and live and up. Question. That's up and live now. I was looking for it yesterday. I couldn't yeah. find it, but it's up and live now. Yeah, it's not coming not coming up on the Google search until about number four or five, but it's ihealthfacts.ie. We're on Twitter as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's led out of Galway. We're partners in UCC. And, um, you know, put in your question there. Excellent. And researchers will get to that. Excellent. All right, listen, thank you so much for your time today, Francis. Great. Have a good day. Thank you. Take care. That's Dr. Francis Sheely, an epidemiologist and a health research professional based at UCC. That website, it can be kind of difficult to find, but I suppose as more people look for it, it'll become more prominent. So what you do is look for it and bookmark it, put it up onto your top of your screen, or you can bookmark it onto the screen of your phone, or whatever. It's www. small i, as in iPhone, health with a capital H, facts with a capital F, dot i.e. Alright? It's www. i, small i, as in iPhone, health with a capital H, facts with a capital F, dot i.e. Worth it. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. While I have you there for a second, um, let me go through the other numbers where you can get information and help and take an opportunity to do it. Uh, the I, iHealthFacts.ie, we'll, we'll read that out now more or less off our list kind of every day because it's, it's a good resource. If you need help and you're in the Cork City Council area, then your community call number is one 800 22226 That's 1-800-222-226. If you're in the County Council area, your community call number is 1-800-805-819. That's 1-800-805-819. If you need information from the HSE, you can go to their website, which is www.hse.ie. Their information line is 1850-24-1850. 1850-24-1850. If you're working on the front line and it's getting to you and you'd like somebody to talk to, we've talked to the people behind this as well, you could text the word frontline, frontline to 086 1800 280. 086 1800 280. And somebody will come back to you. And there's so many more, and I'll try and do a few more of them before we finish. 1850-715-996. The children are home from school now for the bones of five weeks and probably won't go back properly until September. I think we can more or less take that as given. Simon Harris was making noises about maybe them going back one day a week, separate and distant and all that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But the worry on parents' minds is, well, if... They're out of school for weeks and weeks and maybe a couple of months. Will it affect them down the line? The fact that they're not doing their tables and their spellings and they're all this and that, will it affect them down the line? There's evidence to show that in actual fact it won't and that they might even do better out of it. The evidence comes from New Zealand, and I'll be talking to our child psychologist, Catherine Hallisey, about it next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With a self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Spacious, convenient, and still open every day. Selfservicelaundry.ie. Access all areas on Courts 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. Some of the live streaming coming up on the DeBaris Facebook page over the coming weeks includes Armoured Bear tonight, Gavin Moore on Wednesday night, Brian Mooney on Thursday night, and Cork songwriter Brian Casey on Saturday night. The live shows take place every night at 9.30 and 8pm on Sundays. Cork's Patrick and Column return tonight online with their big free quiz. No ticket is needed to join in this evening. Just head to Patrick Ahern Entertainment on YouTube or Facebook. It all kicks off at 8.15pm and the guys will give you instructions how to join. Donations are welcome for their charity of choice this week, Enable Ireland. Access all areas. If you have information on shows coming up in Cork, rescheduled or otherwise, as well as entertaining live streams, drop us a line here at Access All Areas at AAA at 96FM. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. 
Now, it's the middle of June, or just middle of June, middle of March since the schools closed. Was it around the 22nd or 23rd of March the schools closed? And there's no prospect of them going back anytime soon, even in dribs and drabs. You can take it that they won't go back on the 6th of May, I think. Certainly not in full, anyway, if they go back at all. From the very start, people were worrying about homeschooling and classes and trying to keep up the pace of the lessons and wondering desperately how losing a few weeks for seven or eight-year-old Shifra will, will destroy their development. And I said, lads, they're not doing PhDs. Give over. Give over a bit. They'll be fine. In 2011, they had an earthquake in Christchurch in New Zealand and schools lost an entire term and back then didn't have access to the kind of things we have now, like online learning and Zoom and all that sort of technology, was in its infancy. And when they went back to school, they actually did proportionally better, is the research that's uh, now come out of New Zealand. Catherine Hallisey, good morning to you. Always good to talk to you. Good morning, PJ. I hope you're keeping well. I am indeed. And yourself? Great, great altogether. It's heartening that it didn't do the kids in Christchurch any great harm, and I don't think it'll do ours any great harm. You'd agree? I completely agree. You know, uh, instinctively, I felt that this strange, obsessive focus on getting the kids onto Zoom and making sure they're doing all their lessons and everything, it really is feeling like it's about managing the parents' own anxiety and managing our own anxiety as a culture. Because the children will be fine. You know, there's no reason to think a month, two months, three months, even more out of school will do them harm. And this is just a really modern phenomenon, because if this had happened 20 years ago, we'd be just letting the kids play. Yes. You know, and if you... And so when it happened in Christchurch, a lot of the infrastructure was down, so they just didn't have access to online lessons. And, of course, there was so much worry about what would happen, their education... But when there's research by this Professor Hattie that showed for, that for, for some children, a small minority, they didn't do as well. However, for the majority, their scores went up. Yeah. And there are a few reasons why they think this. First is that it was post-traumatic growth and resilience in the young people and their families. Mm. And the second thing is that the teachers just focused on core work. So any teacher listening now knows that there's a huge amount being put on teachers to teach. And the vast majority of teachers will say that it takes them away from the core of the reading, writing and maths. Yeah. This is Professor John Hattie, who is is an Australian expert, and he was the one who did the research on on Christchurch. And they found, didn't they, that some scores actually went up compared compared to comparable years. And also there's evidence from New Orleans in 2005 when all the schools shut down for weeks and weeks after Hurricane Katrina. Those kids didn't suffer either. Exactly. And it's really important that we look at this and take heart from this. And any parent who's listening, you know, if your child really wants to do the work, that's great. Go ahead, let them do it. If you feel it's adding a bit of structure to your day, that's great. And if it's working for you, there is a huge proportion of parents who are listening now who are going to be thinking that the homework is causing untold stress and anxiety in their home that they don't know how to teach the material, they're stressed themselves, their children are stressed. And like the rule is, if anyone is stressed, and particularly if anyone is crying, the lesson is over. 
Yeah. Like stressed brains can't learn and stressed brains can't teach. Yeah. So just go back, let them play for a little while. Well, the thing is, there are things we know that are actually going to improve all of their outcomes, both educational, mental health, physical, all of those things. And homework actually is not on that list. So if you were going to pair it right back, if you want really good outcomes for your children coming from this, the first thing is let them play as much as possible. If they're teenagers, be playful with them. So it's about you being playful as well because play relieves stress and anxiety and yeah. play is the work of children. Yeah. The second thing is focus on connection as much as you can and then read to them and just really try and think about what are the activities that are going to bring about some resilience in my family mm. and it's exploring feelings a little bit, spending time together, definitely exercise if you can get outside, get your children outside if you're lucky enough to have a garden and just really just try and pair it right back and mm. anything that is provoking stress in your home see is it necessary is it absolutely essential right now you, you brought me to a, a key point with regard to the teenager thing because we all know those of us who've done it living with teenagers is, is stressful at the best of times <laughs> so so maybe at times like this we the parents could ease off a little bit don't be so don't be so determined to clip their wings just let them let them be who they are and have a laugh about it yeah and you know i suppose it's important to state that parents are very hard for teenagers to live with too and it's because that's our biological drive we'd never move out if we never had this push to get annoyed with our parents because why would we it's too great <laughs> you know, so it's it's important that we recognise that this is, I think, for, for out of any group, I think the teenagers are experiencing a really difficult time yeah. because their biological drive is to be with their peers. Yeah. This I've, is their developmental task. And I've, I've been very sorry for them, actually. They're, 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 tra- they're like trapped animals at the moment in, in, in their oh, houses, okay. and it's, it's, it's horrible for them. It's horrible for everybody, but it's particularly horrible for them. Catherine, I'm going to bring in Mary Ty, um, who's a homeschooler, and we've talked about uh, this on, on the show with Mary before, <laughs> and you know one another. Yeah. Mary, that's heartening from New Zealand and from uh, New Orleans back in two, 2005, that when they went back and they researched it, it didn't do any harm to miss a few weeks of school. Well, obviously, I mean, we homeschool, so I don't think it does any harm at all. If, you know, if the environment obviously is in a good, you know, if the kids are in a good environment, I'm sure there are some kids that do way better in school because school is a safe place for them. Um, But, you know, kids learn all the time. They're always learning. They're sponges. Like, they learn how to walk and talk without us giving them classes or courses in it. Because it's instinctive. That's our urge. All humans, I think, have that. We're always curious. We want information. We want knowledge. So kids are the same. I'm amazed sometimes at the stuff my kids come out with. I'm like, you know, and where they've learned. You know, where did you learn that? You know, oh, I saw, you know, the wild craft on Netflix or something, you know? And they pick it all up. I, it's amazing. I, I envy their brains, actually. I wish I had it myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, as, as a homeschooler, you know, you, you've, you've practiced it and obviously it, it works for you. But I think a lot of yeah. parents at the start of this were, were worried about how they might recreate the school day and they were saying, well, if I don't recreate the school day somehow, oh, God, the children will 
they're only seven, but they'll fail their leaving. Do you know? And I was kind of saying, I was kind of saying that's nonsense from day one. I'm happy to say that the research agrees with me, but but yeah, certainly, I agree as well. Like kids are, you know, like what they learn at seven is not comparable to what they're going to learn at fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Like I mean, yeah, they're they're always learning, and I don't think, especially like you know, obviously my kids don't go to school, and sometimes we'd have kids that go to school come over. You know, and, and if they're over, they might have to do their homework here, you know. Mm. And I'm always really interested to see what they're learning. It's it, At this level, at seven, eight, nine, it's quite basic, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's easy. And I don't think, I do, my heart goes out to parents that are trying to do that and stress. And I get why they do. Because, I mean, look, I have days where I'm like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Um, and... I think it must be so stressful thinking, okay, these kids are in school every day, but and they're they're doing like six hours or whatever the school day is. But like at home, you have one to one. Like a teacher has thirty pupils yeah. to try and manage, so like it doesn't take very long. And and as I said, like Catherine said, they're reading to them. Um, I sit down and watch a bit of telly with my kids sometimes. It's just nice that connection. Mm. Um, it's about connecting, I think, at the moment because yeah. kids are worried and stressed as well, and yeah. they're missing their friends i know my kids are missing their friends a lot and i, and I have a very introverted older daughter who loves being home <laughs> and really usually in the grand you know in the grand scheme of things I'm thrilled when we have a couple of days at home and who's allergic to being at home at the moment you know yeah. wants because to be you know but you know why don't you i mean I, w- I would suggest maybe Catherine, you'd agree with me here or not that's because staying at home is her choice most of the time now yes, it's not exactly. a choice now it's not and she's missing her friends and yeah you know, that, that ability, you know, for them when they get together and all of that. Now, we do have it set up that they're doing online, but it's not the same no, online, not. No, really, you know. No, it's not. There's not that interaction. I hear a lot so, of laughter coming from my daughter's bedroom with about 12 of them on the screen, but it's it's not it's not <laughs> the same. It's not the same. It's not. No, I mean, I think we're really lucky that we have it and we can, you know, access it. But, yeah, it isn't. And I think for parents that are, like, trying to juggle work as well, you know, like, yeah. these are, again, this is so different. There are some families that where the parents have to work, and the, I have known from talking to friends who are panic messaging me, you know, some of their employers aren't being very flexible and expect them to have meetings at 11 o'clock when yeah. the five-year-old and the seven-year-old are running around. Yeah. Like, so so some employers need a talking to. <laughs> yeah, that's very stressful. And I can see why. And then I think also the other thing is, like, as I said yesterday, I was posted on my face, this isn't homeschooling. Because homeschooling, you can go to the library, you can go swimming, you can go to the park. You're actually not at home all the time. Um, so this isn't normal, all of us being in the house all at the same time. And family dynamics and all of that, you know, partners being around. Um, the house is way messier than usual because <laughs> everyone's here, you know. Mm. <laughs> and also, we're, all in, of that. we're in the middle... Yes, I yes, was going to say, and also we're in the middle of a global pandemic. This is not a yeah. normal time. This is crisis schooling, yeah. and it's crisis living. And you know, if we can all just take a step back, like I totally agree with what Mary is saying. Homeschooling is a choice. It's normally very well planned. There's lots of social interaction built in, and that's not what this is. Yeah. But interestingly, um, lots of parents have been in touch with me to say that they're considering home education full time after this. Yeah. Which is you a know, whole other yeah. discussion. Yeah, I've had a lot of friends reduction on. in anxiety and everything, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Actually, can I just get your the two before I leave the boat go? Um, just a, a view from your boat on on routine, um, because obviously for all children, routine and structure 
is important. But I've been getting a lot of contact through my own circle from people with particularly children and young people on the autistic spectrum or other sorts of additional needs as well. Routine is of key importance to them. And now it's broken. They can't see their friends. They can't go to centre. They can't go out. Some of them can understand it. Some of them can't. Maybe for you first, Catherine, from a psychological perspective, how do we, how do we deal with that young person whose needs are different? I think that there are so many different ways to deal with this and it's, it's going to be really individual. So I'll just speak in generalities. Yes. Um, I don't recommend a strict routine, but I do recommend that you think about the flow and the kind of structure of the day. And for lots of children, they'll do really well if you write it up. So in my house, um, I have a blackboard on the fridge and I just write down a little bit about the, well, actually my husband does it. He, he does the blackboard and he writes down the meals and if there's anything in particular going on. And what it has done is stopped the repetitive questions about what's next. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's managing expectations. So I would add in as much structure as you feel your child needs. And um, a key is always if you're hearing repetitive questions and if you feel there's any kind of anxiety around what's coming next, add in some visuals. Like we all do great with visuals. Like I check my, my visual supports every day with my diary and my calendar. And just really add just uh, you know so much structure that you can you can pair it back and see what's working for your family yeah. and just i suppose really trying to think about it in terms of flow rather than sitting at the table from nine until eleven and then mm. it's this and then it's that don't don't just beat yourself up about everything having to be done on time either Oh, crikey, no, just, you know, have it as flexible as possible. And I always write, write up when I'm working with young children and say, you know, this is the plan, but sometimes things change. Yeah, it's good. So idea. you build in that flexibility too. Yeah. Finally, Mary, thanks, Catherine. Finally, Mary, yourself to say that this is the plan, but things change. Yeah, yeah, and I actually have, I was saying that we don't have, I have a whiteboard. <laughs> And we write up loosely kind of what the plan is roughly for the day. But yeah, we're very fluid. I mean... I must, yeah, and I and I get that some kids really love structure and routine as well, um, yeah. and need it to yeah. feel safe, I suppose. So if you have a child like that, I think yeah, it's a really good idea to have some sort of visual that they can keep an eye on, and you know, the, with obviously the flexibility there as well. Yeah. Okay. You know. All right. Listen. Thanks you both for your time, Catherine Hallisey, a child psychologist, and Mary Ty, a homeschooler. On the fact, thank you both, that you don't have to worry too much about the young one's education at the moment, the little ones. They don't have to worry at all because the research is there that this won't really hurt them long-term. In fact, if we're to believe the research from both New Zealand and New Orleans, they might even do better down the line. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 185715996. The text to WhatsApp is 083 396 And the email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. Should you ever wish to write to us, which some people still do, and I have a reason for saying this, some people still do actually get out a pen and paper and write. It's the opinion line, 96fm, Broadcasting House Cork. Because people occasionally do, including my old friend, who I must say hello to and apologise for the lateness of this. Uh, my old friend John Lennon, John V, uh, celebrated as a birthday uh, last week and wrote to me, uh, as usually, a long 
handwritten detailed letter which I read with great pleasure and then completely forgot to mention on the air so a belated happy birthday to you my friend and yes we will see you in the Crane Lane at some time in the future 1850-715-996 we heard quite a few people calling in about Ryanair and messaging in about Ryanair and trying to get money back from Ryanair and vouchers and all that we're working on doing more with that and I have some more comments I can look down onto Patrick Street now and I can see people uh, socially distancing, gathering quietly and peacefully outside Debenhams. I stood over here in the news at the other side of the studio and just see down in the angle of Patrick Street and there they are outside Debenhams. We were speaking to them earlier on this morning protesting at the way they have been treated. And John O'Donovan is standing with the Debenhams workers and before people accuse him of joining every protest, he was working in Roche's stores and he knows a lot of the staff back from then. They're getting good support and people should join with them. I worked in Dunn's stores too many, many years ago. The lads in the morning, Casey and Ross, have a great giveaway all this week with Bizu. Um, and it's a big giveaway. Bizu is a new shopping app, but it's a shopping app with a difference. And uh, Lauren... Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell me about Bizu. I will. So, as you said, it's uh, it's an online shopping app, but it's one uh, with a bit of a difference. So, what makes us different uh, to other shopping apps is that we're exclusively for independent uh, retail. We did a we did a tally this morning, and we actually have over. 500 independent retailers up on the platform now and we have nearly 9,000 shoppable items from them and actually since last weekend we have 10,000 people who have who have downloaded the app and who are using it wow. which is amazing so it's been really well received so far it's all Irish independent retailers it's all Irish independent retailers at the moment, yeah. So we set out to create Bizu about a year and a half ago, all with the view to give uh, local Irish independent retailers a place where they could sell online because a huge amount of them, and actually less than 20% of all Irish retailers have websites, so they weren't selling online. So we wanted to give them a place that they could that they could go online and sell their products. And equally, we wanted to give shoppers, Irish shoppers, a place that they could go and shop uh, independent retail. So that's what we set out to do and that's what we have done. And then obviously the, the coronavirus hit um, and I suppose the need for something like this for small independent retailers became yeah. uh, really extreme. So so we're delighted because that we can, like we you can said, provide a place. So many of them have had to close their doors and they didn't necessarily have an online presence other than maybe a Facebook page and they certainly weren't selling their, their, their wares online. So this is an opportunity exactly. for them to do so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we, we, like, we couldn't have planned it better. Like, over 80% of them don't have websites. So, literally, as you said, all of them have had to shut up shop, and it me- meant, like, their revenue streams have dried up completely. Like, they've gone from all the way down to, to zero sales. So, really, what Beasley represents for them now is, is a lifeline in a way that they can survive at the moment. So, how does it work? I download the app. Yeah. So you, as a shopper, then you'd have to go onto the, um, the app store. So it's available on Android um, and Apple uh, iPhone um, downloads. So you just go on and you type in uh, Bezu, so B-E-Z-Z-U, and then you can start using the app. And then if you're a retailer, you go online. So www.bezzu, and as a retailer, you can you can sign up from there. Mm, and can pay what? Pay to PayPal or whatever? Yeah, yeah. You, well, you can pay using your credit card or your debit card. Right. Okay. Okay. And then it's you. You. You guys take it from there. Then all, who does the deliveries and the warehousing and all that kind of thing? 
So the, the retailers fulfills all their orders themselves. So because uh, it's, they're all independent retailers, a huge amount of them are owner managed. So all of our retailers are either fulfilling their orders through their own um, shops if they're within the two kilometre radius of their homes, or a lot of them have actually brought their stock into their homes and they're fulfilling their orders through there. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with it. I mean, it's an ill wind, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> but, but certainly for, for, for the developers of an app like Bizu and indeed for, for the businesses using it, um, this is an opportunity, I suppose, for it, it, is, to, for it to shine. And for all of the people who, who, who are looking to online shop, they can go online and they can shop beautiful clothes from independent retailers and all the while knowing that the money they're spending is literally going into the pocket of a real Irish business owner. So it's, it's really a very good news story. Okay, listen, thank you for that. That's Lauren, uh, Head of Communications at Bizu. And I think Audrey Lahan from Azure Jewellery on George's Key. You're using Bizu to continue your business in these tough times. Good morning, Audrey. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Is this a lifeline for people like yourselves? Um, yeah, look, I mean, there's no denying it. It's been an incredible platform. Now, I was, <coughs> excuse me, one of the fortunate ones that I did have a presence online previous to Bizu. Um, but the brilliant thing for me about Bizu is the new market that it's opening for us. Um, so, you know yourself, anything to do with social media or online, it's always a very hard place to build a platform because it's so competitive. So I suppose the advantage for me with Vizu is that they have a huge marketing budget. They're an extremely professional team. Um, they know exactly what they want and they know how to achieve it. So I suppose it's great for us then to be able to go in on the back of that. And it's, as I said, it's another forum for us to sell our product and it's increasing our market awareness as well, you know. So you can you display your products and then someone just buys it. How quickly can you, can you turn the whole lot round? Well, I, again, <clears throat> I'm very lucky. I live within two kilometres of the store in Georgia's Key, which is great for me. Um, now, when all this happened, we closed, I think, around the 14th of March. Um, so when all this happened, I started to move a lot of stuff home because I make jewellery, so obviously it is feasible for me to make from home. Um, so we continue to work online um, because I, I felt it was important for the business. You can't just turn the key and walk away from it. You know, I've been 16 years building it. You can't just close the doors yeah. as such. We, we have commitments, um, you know, um, economically. We have to do what we can. So I, the timing of Bizu was great. Just like I've had a couple of orders on Bizu um, and maybe not necessarily, you know, from Longford or Dublin that I may not have necessarily got previously. So Excellent. I suppose it's just an extra layer to kind of help the whole thing continue but I'm in and out of the store as I need to be making from home and then DPD in fairness all my usual spares are just collecting from the house and we're getting stuff out within two or three days Great It's a tough time for small business isn't it Audrey? Well yeah look I mean this is my 16th year so obviously you know in 2008 we've kind of been down this route before but I don't think anybody could have foreseen what was going to happen and um, yeah I mean it's mad it's mad for everybody um, we're only all trying to do our bit you know we're educating the kids we're working from home and um, we're trying to you know keep the businesses afloat but everybody's in the same boat so yeah. I suppose there's kind of solace in that really and yeah, you know there's always way more people who aren't as fortunate I'm lucky that I, I can continue to do a little bit online 
And then I suppose we just wait and see how the landscape is going to look when we come back. I mean, there's none of us really sure of how we're going to operate long term, you know, what provisions we're going to have to make within our businesses to survive. Um, but we'll do everything we possibly can, absolutely, to, to ensure that Azor will be <laughs> still on the landscape for some time to mm. come, you know. The world might be different, but it's very important to be part of it. Audrey, best of luck. Um, Thanks very much, PJ. Appreciate it and stay safe and safe and all you the too. listeners. And you too. That's Audrey from Azure uh, Jewellery, uh, part of the Bizu platform, which you heard me talking to Lauren about it there. It's, it's an opportunity for small Irish retailers who are suffering and suffering hard in this pandemic to, to do their online stuff. And if you listen to Casey and Ross in the morning all this week, you have an opportunity to win and win big with uh, Boozoo. More information from the lads. 1850-715-996. A what? A what, Niall? A canary, Niall? Good morning, PJ. How are you? Where Where are you? I'm live at the lock at the moment. Uh, I, we just moved here, myself, my wife, and my two kids. We moved here about three or four weeks ago, and right. uh, we came across a canary in our front garden last night about 8 p.m. Oh. A beautiful yellow canary. Um, I was down on my hands and knees looking for a ladybird in a hedge, and I looked up and saw this uh, vision. I had to take a double take just to make sure I was right. And uh, so we just want to report that. That and obviously find out if that canary has an owner living in the lock area. Apparently, they don't travel too far. No, no. Does it have a little ring in its leg? Does it? It does have a, a red ring. Uh, we brought it over to the lock uh, pet shop just to have it checked out. It has a red ring with the initials J A. Okay. 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 Um, and it's it's bright yellow, is it? Bright yellow. Yeah. My my two sons have nicknamed it Chirpy this morning. <laughs> Lovely. So. Okay. So you'd be in Hart, you're in the Heartlands Avenue area. We're in Heartlands Road, one Heartlands of the one Road. of the cul-de-sacs just off the lock, and uh, the the bird is actually at the lock uh, pet shop at the moment, right. just for safekeeping. Yeah, but what time did you find it last evening? Uh, eight p.m. around eight p.m. Yeah. You only moved to the lock recently, so you haven't even been able to properly enjoy your new surroundings with all this lockdown stuff. Yeah, we've been doing a bit of DIY as much as possible, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's been no excuse for uh, not getting a few jobs done around the house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, he had a lucky escape because we did. He did. We did have to try and capture him, and he was chased by a couple of larger birds into a neighbor's garden. Oh, I see. Uh, apparently, the outcome wouldn't have been great if he no, was overnight. No, it wouldn't. And I sincerely so, hope we don't have a cat. Exactly. We don't have a cat, no. We don't have any pets, just a, f- a five and a seven-year-old. Okay. So, uh, as I said, if, if the owner doesn't uh, turn up, we've said to the, the owner the, 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 uh, the owner of the, the lock pet shop that we will... Uh, you'd adopt, but you'd rather... Adopting, you'd, exactly. You'd, you'd rather find the owner first. All right, now, yeah. listen, best of luck. Best of luck with... No with problem. Finding, we'll mention that. So, if anybody lost... Thanks, Niall O'Connell. A canary. Little yellow canary with red ring on its leg. Lost, went missing last evening or maybe even before. Uh, seen or found in Niles Garden on Hall- and Hartlands Road around 8 o'clock last night. It's safe. It's in the pet shop, in the lock, if you can claim it. Hey, listen, you never know. Birds, people go mad for birds. Mad for birds. Can we give a mention to everyone from Greenmount School who should have been making their confirmation today. You and many more. It's a sad old time because loads of people had confirmations planned for March and for April and right into May with communions 
And I think you can probably take it that the communions won't happen either because even after the 6th of May, we're not getting back to normal life anytime soon. So confirmation's gone by the board and probably communions too. So it's a sad time. So Greenmount School, we're thinking of you. 1850 Just want to read that Ryanair one. Um, it's one of many, I may tell you. And people have been coming to me on my own social media to know, can we shout out about it and, and, and see what the hell is going on. And the Irish Times have taken up the cudgels on behalf of its readers to do with Ryanair. Morning, if you're highlighting Ryanair's refund policy on the opinion line, we have six flights impacted from March to May, three return trips, €600 Euro spent, and we certainly don't want vouchers. We'll wait if we have to until COVID passes to get our refund. We will not be travelling to Europe this year or early next year. If we do go away... It'll be to Australia early next year for a visit, as we are Australian citizens. But it does seem that Ryanair, when they cancel flights, and they're kind of rolling cancellations, when they cancel flights, they're putting you in a queue, and they're saying, OK, you can have a refund because the flight is cancelled. And now they're offering people vouchers instead of refunds. We'll add more to that as we go through. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open every day for all your solid fuels. Barbecue, gas and charcoal. Solidfueldepot.ie My heart is literally up against the ceiling. What social media site was started by Jack Dorsey? Twitter. You're right! Well done, my man. Four nine out of tens. Ronan J. Crowley. What is the J stand for? Jammy. Joseph Jammy. <laughs> Karen Tool for two thousand euro. Aaron, you've just won two grand. Nice one, lads. Really appreciate it. You've just won two thousand euro for sixty seconds work. Handbrake turn back home to West Cork. Another winner. There you go. 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 Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. I mentioned earlier on this morning, just when we were talking about that wonderful proposal that took place over Zoom um, between Nessa and Bobby. Nessa was telling me Bobby's living in Abu Dhabi, but she was telling me about Abu Dhabi and Dubai and lockdown over there, and she mentioned that lockdown in Dubai is nothing like what we got here. You have to get permission to go out. You have to actually get permission to go to the shop, not just go to the shop. I uh, got a message to say, PJ, uh, by the way, you don't have to go to Dubai for that. Uh, that kind of strict measure is here in France too. You must get an attestation. Awa. An attestation. You download it, you fill it in, and you must show it to the authorities, the, the gendarme, for every time you leave the house. That's, we don't know what lockdown is. We're taking it so easy here. But we need to keep behaving ourselves. 
1850-715-996. I'm reading from frontpagenews.ie. Uh, news website in East Cork. A Cork County councillor says a government plan to bail out the childcare sector affected by COVID-19 restrictions is not far-reaching enough. Uh, Seamus Wheelhan was quoting councillor Danielle Toomey and she's also criticised delays in the rollout of the new childcare subsidy, waiving crash fees for parents for the next three months. At the start of all of this, we heard that the whole childcare sector was to be taken care of as part of the government provisions for childcare and for COVID-19 in general. Danielle, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. The plan was, and has it delivered? Outline what Minister Zappone said she would do and then tell me has she done it? Well, she did. I suppose on paper the plan looks fantastic. It means that parents don't have to pay their child their child fee their childcare fees. Um, a lot of parents are out of work, and that was the main focus of the the scheme. And um, the scheme under the scheme, staff would receive a minimum payment of three hundred and fifty per week, and that services would receive a minimum of three hundred euro per week, or fifteen percent of payroll costs. I suppose where this scheme falls short is that it doesn't do everything it needs to do for providers. Um, providers, a lot of the providers, which have been sole traders. They can't actually apply for they can't actually apply for the scheme because their wages don't come through the business, so they have to apply for the COVID nineteen payment. So it doesn't actually cover everybody, right. and fifteen percent of fifteen percent of to cover costs. It's not enough to cover costs. Um, they have a lot like they still have outgoings. The bills are still coming in the door, and you know they they can't afford to cover costs under this scheme. So this is more effective for the big providers, if you like. Yes, I think so. I mean, you know, like all of the the preschool, the free the free preschools and the ECCE schemes, they've they've stopped being paid now to preschools. I know that there was a huge delay in the the deliverance of this scheme, and for a lot for a few weeks there wasn't any real direction about where it was going. I know that there was talks between the SIP2 and the department, and it was finally ironed out last week or the week before. But I suppose the the early years federation feel that it's not going far enough, and because of this, they sought legal advice. And there was issues, you know, under the legal advice they received. There was a number of issues that were brought to their attention. I know that they have forwarded this information onto the department and onto their local TDs to see what can be done in the meantime. Yeah, let me um, bring in actually the chair of the Federation of Early Years Providers at this point. Stay there, Danielle. That's Councillor Danielle Toomey of Sinn Fein. Elaine Dunn is chair of the Federation of early years providers and joins me now you got legal advice uh, lengthy and detailed legal we, advice elaine good morning. we did yes yes and um you know on, on looking at the legal advice you know it, it, everybody has to make a decision for their service themselves but on looking at the legal advice you know um people have decided not to take up the the new contract um we have gone into the dcya giving them over the legal advice and we've also handed in um a questionnaire on um, to get some answers off them. I mean, one of the parts of this agreement uh, says that they can amend this agreement at any time. Okay, that's one of the big issues for me is that they can go in and amend that agreement that I sign. So I'm signing an agreement that technically they can go and change it to whatever they feel like. Mm. Okay, mm. the other part is that they can pull it within a week's notice. That's fine, but there's nothing in that agreement to say that we can get out of that agreement at that agreement at any point. Okay, there's also you know. 
they're also saying that we can't ask parents for any help whatsoever. Um, even though, like, a lot of us, for, for me personally, okay, I will be at, well, if we don't get back in until September, I will be up and lo- at a loss of, uh, for my, just my outgoings alone, 40,000. So I was 40,000? 40,000 going back in in September. Okay. And, what they're and that's despite what the government has said they'll do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, like I have a full daycare service, so a lot of the big services, and, and to be fair to the small services, they're being hit as well. And like, you know, everybody's been hit. But what they've done is they, they have done a contract out that there are three different types of services, okay? So there's, there's the, the sessional, which is the guys who open up from 9 o'clock in the morning till 12. So they're ECC only. Then there's other people who work from 8 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock or may open up from 8 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Then there's a full daycare service that open up from half 7 in the morning to half 6 in the evening. Okay, so, but the one contract does not suit us all. Mm. Okay, so that's a big issue as well. I mean, this contract as well, it says, you know, no voluntary contributions um, can be asked from any parent while we're on this scheme. The other thing is, failure to comply with the terms and conditions of the agreement may result in a suspension or a recoupment of funding under this agreement and or a termination of this agreement. So if we technically sign up and then we decide, oh, do you know what, this agreement is not for us. Mm. They can actually take back all the money they gave us, which then puts us in an even worse position than we're in already. So as I said to Danielle, uh, introducing her there, the minister said at the time, in simple terms, she said, OK, we'll take care of the child care sector because we know how much it costs families and we know how expensive yeah. it is to provide. They said they'd do it, and they're only kind of half doing it. OK, so they pulled back all of our government schemes, OK, which... Technically, had they have left them where they were and given us the fifteen percent, that would have been the sector taken care of. To be honest, right? Okay, we we would have actually been a lot better off than where we are right now. And um, right now, as we speak, services are closing and have closed across the country. Right. Okay, because of this, and, and now we knew some had closed over the last few weeks. But in the last week, since this new contract has come out, people have just said no more. So Selbridge in, in Dublin, okay, they they have um, four services in that area alone closed up last Friday. I gave parents notice. Effectively, so many people now have furloughed from work or gone from work and will hope that when things get back to some kind of normal that their childcare provider will be there again. That may not necessarily be the case at all. No, no, and and I would really, um, I I would hope that the DCYA and the Minister are listening to this because what's happening is it's a, a sector that had, was already failing before all yes. of this. That's why we marched on the 5th of February. Yes, it was 30, a huge election 30, issue. 2,000 of us, yeah. you know, went out there and we marched. And what happened was nothing. Nothing changed. Actually, what happened was we got lack. that We had no respect. They had no respect for us anyway. And it's even gotten worse now. Okay, and nobody seems to be listening. There is a group sitting around, you know, that sits around the table at the moment advocating for the sector, but they don't represent us all, okay? They're not speaking on behalf of a lot of providers, okay? So we're not being heard, and that's why we, you know, we're looking at people to help us, you know, the TDs to help us. And listen, sit down around the table, come on to a call with us, hear what we're telling you. Like... 15% 15% does not cover anybody's outgoings in any way, shape or form. We are we are a system that's failing and we're going to be failing our parents at the end of this and the children. So parents will not be able to go back to work if there isn't the services there. Okay. And it's putting the, the, our services, more services under so much pressure for places which we do not have. They're gone. 
Okay, Elaine, I'll leave it there with you. Thanks very yeah. much. And uh, Councillor Danielle Toomey of Sinn Féin. That's Elaine Dunn, Chair of the Federation of Early Years Providers. Thank you both. So they said they'd sort out the sector and they said they'd make sure that to protect the childcare sector so that anybody who needed childcare would have it when they went back to work. They said they'd sort it out. They haven't. In fact, you could have loads of small or even larger childcare providers closing down because they're not being looked after in the way that they were led to believe they would be. 1850 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open every day for all your laundry needs. Selfservicelaundry.ie Everywhere I go. There are now even more ways to listen to Cork's 96FM. Tune in on your radio, online, on your mobile. And now you can ask your smart speaker to play Cork's 96FM. Try it now. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. I'm out of work since the schools closed. I'm a care assistant. I'm not entitled to a penny because I've chosen to stop working because I have no childcare options available to me. So all I have to choose from is parental leave of up to 18 weeks available to me. I'm not entitled to any other type of payment whatsoever. Yes, I'm loving being home, but I thought we were going to be looked after in some way. But that's not true in my case. That's a childcare assistant. Um, Debenhams mentioned their protest, their socially distant protest, started outside the store on Patrick Street there in a while. Peter Hines on Twitter says, I think it's disgraceful that Debenhams staff have been left so high and dry, and yet every day Debenhams Ireland are sending out emails pushing their online sales. Indeed, they are. 1850-715-996. Now, oh, there was a story that was going around last week. I just want to tell you this before I move on. Remember we mentioned here one morning all of these paving slabs that were being lifted and, and flowers, or it wasn't even flowers, being put down instead of them. It was happening all over town. We were trying to get to the bottom of what was going on. It happened up the road from us here, in fact. People taking up. Uh, paving stones and replacing them with flowers and sometimes stacking the paving stones next to it. I thought initially it was someone with the garden centres closed looking to rob a few paving stones in the back garden. It wasn't anything like that. Gardaí arrested a man at the weekend and he has been charged in relation to a number of criminal damage incidents. Uh, They investigated the situation and the man aged in his late 20s was arrested on the 9th of April detained at Bridewell Garda Station under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act. He'd appear in court at a later date. So there was some progress on it. What happens if your car breaks down during all of this shenanigans? What happens? Not just ordinary people's cars, but frontline workers' cars. One founded... We had contacted there in the last few days by two people working on the front line in particular. One of them worried because she's got a mechanical problem in the car, can't get it fixed during lockdown, so what's she going to do? Needs the car for her job. Other caller was worried because the engine management light, you know the little orange one that looks like a camcorder, yeah, that's on and main dealer is not operating and she's afraid of the car going into kind of a limp home mode and it'll barely crawl home over the threshold and then leave her there, something like that. She, would you see this engine light on? It could be any number of things. And if you go to a dealer, they have to plug in a glorified laptop and it reads the car and tells you what's wrong and then they know what to do. But 
it's just a light to the rest of us. And anyone whose car starts giving trouble in the middle of this, all the main garages are all closed, except for emergencies. Geraldine Herbert from wheelsforwomen.ie. Geraldine, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is difficult if the car starts to give trouble. What do you do, particularly if you need it, if you're still an essential worker on the front line? It is, PJ, but remember, all that is supposed to be closed with car dealerships is actually the sales room. So they're physically not open, but they're still supposed to be providing emergency and essential repairs. Now, if it's a case that you have an issue with your car and your local dealer is not providing that, I would suggest you contact the head office, the, the distributor. So say it's a Peugeot, you contact Peugeot Ireland, Toyota, Toyota Ireland, and ask them where the nearest dealership is because you're supposed to be looked after. I mean, as I said, it's car sales that has been you know stopped for the moment, but essential repairs are supposed to be still carried out. So where you would normally get the car serviced, call them. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, if you're not getting a response there, get on to the car distributor, the main head office, and ask them what to do. Because, you know, if you look at any of the websites, they're saying this, they're reassuring customers, we are there. Because, I mean, cars will break down regardless of what happens or, you know, what the situation is in the country, and people need to be looked after. The other thing I would say is that all roadside assistance, you know, the AA and people like that are still working. So if your car breaks down, you have breakdown assistance or whatever, you can contact them. The other thing is um, the AA are actually offering free breakdown or roadside assistance to frontline workers. So that's something to bear in mind. If you are a frontline worker, phone the AA. Right. Did, did we not understand from the, the Taoiseach's instructions on the 27th of March or whenever it was that in actual fact the motor trade was to shut save for emergencies. Yes, that's it. It's it's emergency repairs and emergencies, that's all. Like, as I said, sales are finished, all of that is over, but they are still supposed to be providing that service because cars do break down. So your but, your regular routine service you can't get? No, but if something... and, ha- that, and having said that, remember that car companies are, are car dealerships. If you bring your car back in September and you've missed the service interval and you're worried about that, don't be. They're going to make allowances for all of that. Plus the fact that, you know, there's very little mileage going to be done between now and the end of the lockdown or whatever. But go. in terms of actual emergency repairs, they are supposed to be providing that service. Because mm. my own car, for example, I have to get a service run every March or April and the onboard computer gives me a little warning light to say service me now, mm. but the place is closed. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to do a huge amount of difference, really, if you don't get a service because, as I said, you're not probably putting a huge amount of mileage on your car. Mind you, you're probably doing the same amount of driving, but they will turn a blind eye to that in terms of your warranty and everything when you do go to get it service. You know, if you can't do it, PJ, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, yeah. So AA are delivering free service for frontliners and emergency garages. If you need your car done, call the garage you'd normally call and they have to look after you. Yes, and if they're not, as I said, go to the distributors. So if it's a Peugeot, go to Peugeot Ireland, or go to the head office and ask them where the nearest dealer is for you know to you. But yes, they're supposed to be providing this service, so don't panic. Mm. While I have you, sales, of course, are gone through that floor completely now. They weren't great as it was. Yeah, sales were struggling as it was, and there was an impact of, of imports with Brexit and everything. They have, but to be honest, PJ, this has happened across Europe. In Ireland, in March, they collapsed by 60%. In Europe, it's about 54%. And I mean, the April figures are obviously going to be abysmal because, you know, you can't physically buy a car at the moment. So I think this is to be expected. What's interesting, though, is if you look at China, and China, of course, is about two months ahead of us when we see kind of as a, a, where we're going to be, car sales have actually increased, and they're very surprised about this. They've slowly but surely opened um, car production plants, they have opened um, car sales rooms, and people are actually now opting to buy cars because they 
they're shunning, I suppose, um, long-term commutes in terms of um, public transport. Yes. Not, they don't want to go on trains, they don't want to go on buses. So car sales are actually on the increase because people are seeing that it's a safer way of travelling. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out yeah. when, yeah. well, I don't know what normal will be, oh. but when we resume in some way. Public, public transport is going to take a, a big hit as a result of this because if you look at the major cities of the world, like London, serious trouble, Paris, mm. serious trouble, New York, serious trouble, what do they all have, have in common? extremely big public transport systems. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is going to be. And I think the other thing is, remember, that a lot of people will continue to work from home for as long as possible because if it's worked out, there's no real reason to have these people back in an office. So as long as you've reduced traffic volumes, it'll actually be more pleasant to drive your car. It'll be quicker. There'll be less congestion. And that'll actually act as an incentive for people to drive. So, you know, I I think car sales might actually be okay when this again. But it's, you know, how long is a piece of string, PJ? When is normal going to be back? What will normal be? So it's very hard to predict. Stay there, Geraldine. I don't know whether you can answer Shane's question directly, but he has called. Shane, good morning. Your windscreen is cracked. Uh, good morning. Um, yeah, look, my windscreen actually cracked about two weeks ago. Um, and I rang my insurance company and they said, you have to go to our repair guy. And I rang our repair guys and look, fair enough, they're only repairing emergency windows where a complete window is missing and it's hazardous. But I was told I had to wait. But my actually car insurance is up in about six weeks' time. So I have to wait, and more likely my windscreen won't get fixed. And then I have to go with a new insurance in six weeks' time, and I can't carry over a claim. So I'll end up probably having to pay for it myself. So I'm kind of in limbo yeah. as to what I'm supposed to do, you know. Any advice for him, Geraldine? I would have thought there's somebody around that could do that. I mean, that would sound to me like an emergency in the sense that it's dangerous. It's dangerous to drive as well. It's, your visibility is impaired with yeah. the, the cracked windscreen. So I'm surprised that nobody would do it if you if you look around. There, I'm sure there's somebody that there could actually provide must be garages that that'll do it and run it through your insurance because it's such a routine job. Uh, like, like PJ, I rang like, um, the guys I was supposed to go to in Blackpool and he the insur- I rang the insurance company back and they said, look, try a few local guys, and but you, you lose a premium. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were supposed to pay like five hundred short premium. I'd say you might lose two hundred if you go local. And I rang around a couple of guys in Carrigaline, whatever, and they all said, "Look, we're only doing emergencies." Yeah. There's a supply issue with glass as well. Well, that that seems to be a problem, right? There is there is an issue, Shane. Look, I don't know whether 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 you. I hope you do get a, get a solution to that, and you're probably not on your own. But thanks for bringing it to our attention. And it is a problem like that that will bother people mostly, isn't it, Geraldine? There must be someone to do it and run through the insurance. But he says he's tried and they're not there. But in general, if you need an emergency repair, you can get it done. You can, yeah. I mean, rest assured. As I said, if you're under, if you have any issues with your local dealer, just ring head office and get their advice. All right, okay. Thank you very much, uh, Geraldine Herbert, wheelsforwomen.ie. And Shane, sorry we don't have an answer to your question, but I'd say you're not the only one in that situation. My daughter's car broke down. She's a frontline worker. She's hiring a car mechanic. Won't fix it. He said he would, and it was a disgrace. He didn't do it. It won't start. She texted you last week. Breakdown moved it, but still it won't start. That's from Joan via WhatsApp. A lot of places are working. A lot of mechanics particularly in small garages where guys work on their own they are working. I texted uh, I texted a buddy of mine in the trade at the weekend, no was he doing anything and he said look I'm, I'm open with the door closed. If someone needs my help I'll fix their car. That's what a lot of mechanics are doing. 1850 715 996 Warning about pubs 
It was in the papers yesterday and it's all over the UK. In the UK, there are some warnings that the pubs there might not open until Christmas. Uh, here, people are saying God will surely get the pubs open at some stage in some shape or form during the summer. We don't know. We genuinely don't know. They'll be about the last thing to reopen once we get control of this outbreak. But there's been a very strong warning that a lot of Cork pubs may never open again if this thing drags on. Um, I'm reading from the Echo, uh, and Murphy writes, some pubs may never reopen after the COVID-19 crisis, particularly if the sector has to remain closed until after a vaccine has been found. Now, on this show yesterday, Dr. John Lambert said that that for, for to, to say that you might have to close until after a vaccine has been found, for anyone to say that shows a lack of knowledge of vaccinology because he said that might never happen. That might never happen. So there will come a point where, where we'll have to take a chance. But uh, Michael O'Donovan is the chair, chair of the Cork City branch of the Vintners Federation and, of course, the proprietor of the very fine Castle Inn. Michael, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is serious. You've been closed now since just, uh, it be just before Patrick's Day. Yeah, it's since, uh, I suppose, effectively most members closed the Saturday night, the, the 14th of March. Um, some opened on the 15th, the Sunday. And then that Sunday evening came the directive from government um, uh, asking the pubs, really, and telling them to, to close. So all members really followed that. And by the Sunday night, all pubs across the country had closed their doors. And unfortunately, the minister's comments then on the paper on Sunday really, I suppose, scared a lot of publicans. And this is Simon Harris's comments on the Sunday Independent, yes, I think. Yeah. saying that uh, it, there'd be no uh, mass gatherings um, until this vaccine is found. So, and like he singled out the pubs, which was a uh, you know, brought it really home and scared a lot of the members because uh, up to this we had kind of been talking, I suppose, especially in the last seven days uh, about social distancing and I suppose each publican had been doing their own uh, configurations in their own premises because, look, no two premises in the country are going to be the same, so everybody will have to do their own um, bit of work on this and to see if it's viable, really, to open uh, under those social distancing concerns because um, while we are closed, um, we got in, uh, confirmation last week from Minister uh, John Paul Phelan that the rates will be, um, uh, I suppose, put aside for the, the pub sector uh, while we are closed. So uh, people, that's the only, I suppose, good uh, chunk that we've of life that we have from the government at the moment. But they... Um, they are, I suppose, taking their cue from the public health people, but it's really scared the the publicans and, I suppose, the public yeah. um, with these comments on Sunday evening. The next direction we'll get will be sometime either before or on the, the 5th of May. But yeah. uh, but have you guys had any meetings or any back-channel discussions? No, look, we're, look since Minister Harris made those uh, comments, we're trying to get some, I suppose, clarity, some bit of... Um, uh, dialogue going but like at the moment there's none so like we hope that uh, the government would engage with our industrial leaders really and that we could sit down and maybe look if social distancing is the part that we have to do maybe come up with a guideline a framework 
see if it's practical and um, mm. maybe do a trial on it i don't know look it's uh it's all uh, up for discussion really yeah. um, and see where it goes but like we need i suppose firstly we need the government to come to the table and talk to our industrial leaders it would be better for them to be doing that and mm. getting the information out to our members rather than feeding it through, I suppose, the, these comments that the, are the, being... The other thing, too, I suppose, that you have to bear in mind at the moment, Michael, is a couple of things. First of all, pubs are luxuries. Uh, yes. You know, secondly, it's not really the government will tell you when to reopen. It is Dr. Holohan and his team will tell you when it's feasible for you to reopen. Oh, ab- absolutely. Look, we, we totally understand that public health is the number one thing in this. Um, and, like, public health, like our staff's health... And that's why we're saying if if we do get to um, uh, to get to reopen, and if social distancing looks like it's going to be with us for the foreseeable future, we have to work out guidelines with them on how it's going to be implemented, the practicalities of it, um, and what we can do. So, mm. like that's where the dialogue will need to take place. Well, to be fair, I think a lot of publicans are very scared at the moment. Oh yes, look, it is, and the you know one of the hardest things is. It looks like, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. Now, uh, the Taoiseach, to be fair, yesterday evening in his comments kind of did, I suppose, open the door a small little bit, but we still need to sit down and see what that is, you know, um, and hopefully, as I keep saying, there'll be dialogue because that's the only way that we can get informed information and, I suppose, get to know what's the plan, the roadmap for going forward. I read a piece on the Examiner, I think it was yesterday, where some economist, whose name I forget, some economists uh, said to the government, well, the other thing too to rescue the pub sector is you're going to have to put a euro on the pint. That would empty the pubs faster than the COVID-19. Yeah, I think that was quite bizarre yesterday. Um, I think, look, uh, look, I suppose from a competitive viewpoint, uh, that would be uh, a real tough pill to swallow. Look, I suppose the the second thing is tourism this year is probably decimated. But yeah. going forward, if we were to put a euro on a point and then try and attract tourists into this country going forward in 2021, 2022, etc., that would make us so anti-competitive compared to our European colleagues. And it would make it even a harder job to to do it. So, like, if we were to look at anything... It would be. I would. I would hope that part of the discussions would be excise would be looked at. I was just going to say that. In fact, it might be a, a prudent government would say, right? Look, we can open the pubs again under some regime or other. They've struggled. Now let's do something sensible. Let's knock the excise the excise off the drink for a little while or knock it down a bit. Yeah, and look, that would give us a, a fighting chance. And I suppose the VAT rate on food. Look, we've been saying they increased it there about uh, 18 months ago from yeah. 9 to 13 and a half percent. It's look for the next number of months, whenever we do get up and running, that would have to be a zero VAT rate to try yeah. and get us uh, some working capital to get turnover and to get us going again. That was and another crackpot idea that was on the front of the examiner that would put a tenner on everyone's bill for a bit of grub. Yeah, but that goes back again, PJ. That would make us so anti-competitive compared to our our, our colleagues. Like, if you're looking at coming to Ireland, um, I, I think it was a Mr. Lenehan was the name of the economist that said it. Um, but I think it's... I, I Look, personally, I don't think it's a runner, and I think it would just be... Send all the wrong signals out for what we'll be trying to do when we get open up uh, to, 
you know, and yeah. try and attract tourists going forward. Uh, not this year, but in years to come, yeah. that would be just it would it would be an own goal really to yeah. do something like that. Uh, another thing is too like that. I suppose if a, if you own your pub and you own your premises, your problems you've one set of problems. If you're renting your premises and you owe a lot of money to the bank, you have another set of problems. How are banks and 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 landlords? treating pubs, particularly when the pubs will say, we've no idea when we're going to open. Yeah, I suppose. Look, it's it's a, it's something that we're getting calls on day in, day out. Um, um, most landlords have been very good, I have to say that. Uh, there are some, and I suppose, it's not that they're not very good, it's just that they're finding it hard because if you have an investment company, um, a commercial bank that owns the building, say, or an investment company that owns the building, it's hard to get the pers- a person to make a decision. So that's taking a bit longer. They are engaging, but getting a decision is, uh, I suppose, who does do it, the buck stop with to make that decision. And how, and how helpful are our accountants in, in doing up business plans for the future? Or, or can you at this point uh, in time? Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it, I suppose, look, you can do all your uh, groundwork at the moment, but the thing is, look, we until we get direction and we get parameters to work in it's very hard to draw up any budgets or anything for going forward this is again is where i say we need the dialogue with the government uh once the public health people will give the go ahead we just need um to have this dialogue to have a framework in place that we'll have a roadmap to work on afterwards and then people can make plans for for what we need to do well i'm sure like i I speak for many when i can't wait to sit in front of a nice cold pint at some time soon when it is safe to do so listen michael thank you very much you're welcome pj thank you michael donovan the castle inn uh, and uh, of course he's chair of the local vfi there's a breaking story that will not go down well with a lot of our listeners in particular and uh, we've no evidence of it happening in Cork but in Dublin uh, protesting Debenhams workers they gathered the very same way as the workers did here in Patrick Street and man, even though it seems to be a drop of rain coming down now on top of them small drop at least, social distancing outside the store, 10 or 15 of them protesting at what has happened to their jobs. In Dublin they were protesting outside Debenhams there and they have been moved on by the Gardaí also, Mallow Brakes were on to say they're doing all kinds of servicing, not just on brakes, on anything. If it's an emergency, contact them through through their Facebook page, Mallow Brakes, and they'll come back to you and they'll sort you out as best they can. That's it. Edited by Deirdre Shantley, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Stay safe and stay at home. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.